Hey, this is Chuck Dixon, and you're listening to Signal of Doom. <laughs> well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. Hello and welcome to Signal of Doom. We have the great Chuck Dixon with us. Chuck, how are you? Doing good, doing good. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not supposed to have favourites, Chuck, but you are my favourite. So, you know, like, I mean, let's face it. I, I think, actually, that you're close to having done a, around 10, ep- 10 episodes with us, at least over wow. the course of um, Signal. You were... The first guest ever was the Mighty Mike Barron, and you followed up like two weeks later. And both of you guys are, um, you know, right up there in terms of shows. So, it's wow. a, it, we've been going for about five years now, Chuck. Actually, I think um, so. It's it's crazy, isn't it? Now, yeah. Now we we have. I, I want to thank um, all the listeners because plenty of people have um, asked heaps of questions for you this 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 time, Chuck. Um, oh, also, Yo Joe. Obviously, as well, we haven't done a Yo Joe in a while. So um, <laughs> now, my first question, Chuck, is: You're over there in the states. Uh, this UFO stuff that was at the congressional hearing—are we closer to the truth, Chuck? I mean, you're there. What are people saying on the ground? Uh, most people are ignoring it. Yeah, uh, it just needs to be government deflection, so we don't notice what that they're spending all of our money. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Like, they've clearly got some time and money to spend if they're, you know, focusing in on the UFOs. But I just wonder, because I said to Rich, my co-host, I said, Rich, maybe I should go undercover and get in one of the UFO groups. And then I said, it just feels like a lot of work. You know? It's, 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 it's a deep, deep, deep rabbit hole. It is. Yeah, it is. And and I'm the kind of guy who wants quick answers. <laughs> no, no, you're not going to get it. Okay, you're, right. you're going to get you're going to get twenty different answers to every question. <laughs> there, I know. Uh, now, this is an old chestnut on Signal, and I thought we'd weigh in uh, with you, Chuck, because Hugh Jackman's net worth prior to the divorce split are we talking north or south of two hundred million? What do you What do you say, Chuck? <laughs> uh, it's got to be over two hundred million, right? Th- thank you, and you know what. The voice of sanity, because I always say, and I've said this to multiple co-hosts, you're forgetting the property portfolio um, because he has an extensive one. And um, I think, um, obviously, I don't know if you're aware, obviously, he's an Australian institution and he's just getting uh, divorced from his wife of many years and it's going to have an impact. And I said the one silver lining out of all this is he may need a quick injection of cash, which means more Wolverine, you know? possibility well we I, all I can't that. imagine he'd ever be hurting though uh, yeah i know but imagine if they said to him 50 percent, and you've got to liquidate assets you've got to do this you've got to do that and I, i'm just i'm a silver lining guy chuck you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> it all depends on where he's getting divorced yes i agree i agree and i mean in the united states if you get divorced in california you're screwed if you get divorced in florida you're scot-free Okay, so. right. Well, there you go. Um, move to Florida, yeah. maybe, Hugh, and uh, get, get the <laughs> proceedings done there. Now, um, the first question we have. Now, we, we're going to go into your um, stuff you've got going on right now, Chuck. But before we do that, uh, 1998, Michael asks, in June 1998 of DC's Watch This Space, a fire is mentioned which destroyed all of DC's scripts for the following month. And... How you, Chuck, were sequestered in a New York hotel and forced to speed write them all. 
did you really have to write every DC script all over and did you get extra pay and was it the Penguin that was responsible? <laughs> Is this no, true? No, that never happened, but uh, oh. it was always a possibility. Right. Oh, so it's a complete, like, just, it's a, what do you call it? Like, it's fake news. Yeah, there was a time in the middle of Contagion when I had to write three scripts in three days, two wow. months in a row. Well, that's but, impressive. Uh, that's I, the fastest I've ever worked. And can I say, that's actually one of my favorite Batman events, Contagion, with the plague. Yeah. Yeah. Did yeah. you write the issue where it's kind of funny, where Robin comes in and he thinks like, or someone comes in and thinks Robin's dead, but then he's not really. Alfred kind of pranked whoever it was, like Bruce. He, it's like you think, I don't think I wrote that one. Yeah, like Robin was really sick, really sick with the with the right. maybe the plague was like so bad, like, right. and then it, he he made some miracle recovery, and Alfred it, it seemed as if he pranked Bruce that Robin was dead, but was more like a it was more like that would you know the cliffhanger where you go for the cliffhanger kind of thing and. <laughs> I was like Alfred would Alfred would do. I mean, he likes. I wouldn't call it pranking, but well, he was he, an actor back in his day, wasn't yeah, he? So. Yeah. But he likes uh, uh, pointing out Bruce's foibles. So exactly, playing yeah. with him now and then. Well, that was that was a fun event. So no, so fake news. So there you go. So DC back in 90, in June '98 were. I mean, they're kind of. It makes you sound awesome though. Like that, if you wrote oh, yeah, all that the would script, be great. yeah, like wow. I love the claim that was true, but. Because I was going to say, if if that was true, and, like, we all know in the, the, like, DC years later, kind of, you know, screwed you a little bit, and I would have never forgotten it. I would have been like, look, he slept with my sister, he didn't call her back, but he did do all the scripts for a month. So, you know, like, let's let's balance it all up here. (laughs) Now, um, Chuck, you have obviously had the Conan novel Siege of the Black Citadel out for a while now, and the new book... Caravan of the Damned is, I believe, out today, correct? Yep, yep, today. That is, it's very nice of you, Chuck, to coordinate our chat with the release so we can break the news, you know, and like... The, the whole team worked very hard <laughs> to, to get to this date so to, you could, you could break it. this. So give us the, because, I mean, look, uh, I love Conan. I love your Conan. What's the 10 cent pitch on Caravan of the Damned? Great title, by the way. It's uh, basically, uh, you know... If you read a lot of Conan, you know he hung out in the desert with a bunch of uh, bandits in the Zuagir desert with the Zuagiris and the wolves of the sands and all that stuff. And uh, basically, he's uh, he's after a treasure, as he always is. Turns out the treasure is uh, the daughter of a, of a, of a king. And uh, so they say, well, we'll hold her for ransom. That's the treasure. That's, she's worth it for ransom. And this results in a, in a chase across the desert with... Um, Conan and his bandits. Awesome. Uh, with, with a you know uh, the a Turan army, uh, elite army force on their on their heels the whole way. This sounds awesome. Yeah. Okay. Like I I, I was looking at the um the, the Conan kind of like groups and stuff, and your uh, previous book had very good reviews, and we know these guys like to complain. So when they're like, it's actually pretty good. You 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 kind of. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was so surprised. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I saw one guy who's like, look, at the end of the day, it's just a good adventure story. Um, if that's what you're after. I'm like, yeah, that is what I'm after with Conan. That <laughs> <laughs> would be what I tried to write. <laughs> that's is it a lot of fun. Um, obviously, uh, you, you wrote Conan, you know, 
years ago at, at Marvel is that a lot of fun coming back to the character and really, you know, I mean, how, you don't really have any restriction on, on what you're writing now, do you, with Conan? Like, you're, you know, is no. it just, is it a lot of fun to come back to? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and this time I'm really doing Robert E. Howard. I'm not writing a comic. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure. trying to, you know, stay as much as I can with his language, uh, even restricting the lengths of the novels to around the length of his novels. Yeah. Uh, you know, just to keep it honest. And, uh, you know, trying to, you know, write in that 30s pulp style. You know, I didn't want to put any anachronisms in there. Yeah. Uh, I wanted this to feel like a story that might have appeared in Weird Tales. So That's great. Uh, but it's a challenge. But for me, the challenges are fun. So. Yeah. So do you go, I mean, obviously you're so experienced, but, like, did you go back and maybe read a couple of these short stories just to get the vibe, you know? Yeah, yeah. I just kind of look, mostly looking for words. I mean, Around my monitor, I have post-it notes uh, oh. that I put down, you know, Robert E. Howard words like plunge, hack, dash, plummet. You know, what's this one? Yeah. Uh, lurch, you know, uh, just to keep, you know, because you're going to, you know, the prose is going to get a little purple. It's not as terse as my uh, usual prose is. Yeah, like a Levon Cade novel or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, I especially, especially when you get into the Lovecraftian horror stuff, I mean, you got to, you gotta gotta dig deep into that thesaurus. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, my God, I remember the first time I read his because I only knew Conan really, honestly, from the Arnie movies and a few comics. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and I loved him. And then I I bought the Robert E. Howard collection. I started reading, and I was amazed at how good it was. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and your stories. I mean, you, you get the character. Let's face it. Like I've always felt that's a character that for you is just a really neat fit. You know, like yeah. Well, I, I mean, I was exposed to it at just the right age. I think it was about thirteen, fourteen. Mm. Started picking up Conan paperbacks. You know, before it ever became a comic. Yeah. And uh, you know, you know, thirteen, fourteen. The hormones are raging. Perfect time to read Conan. Oh yeah. Well, he's such a fun character because like he he loves like wine, women, wenches, and. And like and killing basically like and he's kind of got a good streak, but it's not like super strong all the time. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know what I mean? He's one of those characters. He's good, but like he's also really self interested as well, which I like. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a slob hero. He's a bit of a prick. Yeah. Uh, you know, but but you know, I think that's a, a male wish fulfillment fantasy that we could just be all those negative male stereotypes and just oh, sure. not give a damn oh, about sure. anything. Well, how many Conan like comics even start with him in the tavern with like the two wenches on each arm? Like, it's, obviously, there's a fantasy element. Hey, who cares? Right. Good, it's fun. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what escapist <laughs> fiction is about. Exactly, exactly. You don't want Conan. Imagine if Conan was done like super PC, which I guess Marvel tried, and like he was like he he you know he didn't like ogle women and stuff. It's like this isn't the character. Like you've got to do no. the character. Um, well, the thing is, I mean. Yeah. It's like it's there's a fine line. I mean, yeah. he's um, he's he's never interested in a woman that isn't interested in him. Yeah, sure. uh, you know, he's yeah. not he's not he's not a womanizer in that he's going to seduce a woman because hey, there's some other woman that I don't need to seduce. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, he's just he's just after you know easy chicks. Exactly. Um, to me, that's not an abuser. That's not you know. Definitely not. Uh, he seems to hold women in high regard. He certainly enjoys their company. <laughs> well, I mean, God, how many has he rescued over the years? It have to be in oh, the thousands. Seriously. Yeah. Seriously, sometimes uh, when the uh, the other option was better, just to leave her to die. No, definitely, he's a, he's a good character. I, I love Conan. Um, 
I remember back in um, your Savage Sword Conan days, you did a lot of stuff with like the, in the picks, and it was like they're not Romans that, that he was working for. I forget who the um, I think the Aquilonians. I yeah, had stand in for the Romans. Yeah, it was great stuff though because you you the way you did that, I really enjoyed those stories. Like that was that was a lot of fun. Like you must have had a good time there because you were quite sort of young in your career at that point, weren't you? That was pretty pretty early. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, you know, I want to do a whole lot more stories along the Pictish frontier, but uh, Larry Hammer, my editor at the time, said, that's enough of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move him someplace else. <laughs> well, a lethal Larry does, you know, he does have a feel, doesn't he? You know? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has been around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wasn't going to question. No, so. that's cool. Um, I have a question from um, one of my listeners, Mitchell Hall. He says, in. Uh, in his opinion, why are so few Conan productions on TV or film and nothing is happening in that regard? So he basically, I said, is Chuck supposed to answer this? Because I, it was, he was asking as if you were the owner of the properties. <laughs> I was like, uh, but I, I guess he, what he's saying is, I mean, what if they had the Momoa movie? If they had anything else that I can't remember? Well, they had a, that TV series briefly. Okay. Uh, you know, the two Arnie movies, they had a cartoon. That's about it, but... I, I just think they've never um, they've never captured the real Conan because I mm. think audiences respond to it in a big way. Um, you know, uh, they kind of treat them like uh, sword and sandal movies. Yeah. You know, and you had you had I I think the first Conan movie with Arnie did well. The second one bombed because it was a terrible movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the Momoa movie didn't because the thing is that you know it, I mean I'm a Conan purist. I love Conan. Yeah. I never saw the Momoa. Movie. I mean, I, I just from the trailer, I was like, "This looks all wrong." I, I just have no interest in seeing it. I mean, I'm sure I, I, a lot yeah. of other Conan enthusiasts did the same. Yeah, look, I mean, it's a, it's a pale reflection of what could have been, kind of thing. Like you, can, I, I did see it because I'm I'm very sad at Chuck, and I'm you know a broken man inside. And and I went and I went and watched it, and you sort of like you know when you're like, I can see how this could have been good, but. They sort of, it's like a, it's like the palest, washed out reflection of Conan ever, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's like the character is so. They look upon the character as simple, yeah. but he's not. He's really nuanced. I mean, you know, especially, you know, reading him, I kind of understood it, and then writing him, I really learned to understand it. You know, this guy's got like a really wicked sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, literally, yeah, definitely. Like, and and then he's even funnier when he doesn't mean to be. Uh, you know his simple statements of fact, his directness, yeah, and the rest of it, and and his sense of loyalty. Uh, exactly. You know, if you're loyal to him, he's going to be loyal to you to the end. All these other things that you know, and they they just don't get there. They kind of write these monster of the month, wizard of the week stories that, mm. that they always told us not to write. Don't do them. Don't right. do a story where the whole focus is on the monster or the whole focus is on the wizard because that's lazy writing. Yeah. You want to. Have an action-packed story that you know has Conan in the middle of it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, no, like um, it reminds me when I went and saw the Dark Tower movie, and I know I must admit I haven't read a lot of the the novels, but I was always interested in it. And I'm watching the movie, and I'm like, man, this is like you can sense there's a good story that they're adapting that they've completely screwed up because they've tried to rush everything. And it was yeah. just you're like no one's going to like this movie. 
I, that's what I was right. thinking. And once again, I'm the only guy in the cinema. I'm thinking, why am I spending my money to be like the you know the professional critic that I am? Um, but yeah, it's crazy. And I was actually thinking um, a really cool cartoon of Conan would be wild. That's what I'm surprised yeah. they haven't done. Like a, if you think about it, with um, you know all the you know, Netflix shows and stuff and everything, like, can they not give us a cartoon? Like, really? They give us every other piece yeah, of crap. Yeah, seriously. Like, yeah. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Now, um, maybe they could task you, Chuck, and get you involved yeah, as a maybe. creative consultant. Wouldn't that be some nice, easy money for you? And you, you turn up and you, 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 you lob your two novels and, like, a stack of Savage Short and go, here you go. Have a <laughs> have a look at that. <laughs> and just walk out of the room. That's it. <laughs> Now well, I'll come back when you're done reading these. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Now, I'm very excited about this Ripperverse stuff. Um, I know you're teaming up with a major artist over, I believe it's at Eric July's imprint. Can you give the listeners the lowdown of what's happening here, Chuck? Because it sounds exciting. Well, basically, I mean, Eric, I, you know, when I saw what Eric was doing, I just kind of reached out to him and I said, look, if you ever need any advice, you know, you're starting up a new comic book company. I know all the mistakes you shouldn't make. Mm. And if you ever just want some advice from a guy who's been doing this for a long time. And, uh, but the thing is, Eric never did anything wrong. Uh, he wasn't, he hasn't made any mistakes. Uh, he didn't start out making any mistakes. He did his homework. He did his research. And um, obviously he's being extraordinarily successful. Yeah. And then eventually he reached out to me and said, would you like to write for me? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll write for you in a heartbeat, you know? So, and so what are you guys uh, doing? Like what? What's, um, what's I'm, the project? I'm doing. Um, I wrote Alpha Core Number One, which mm. is a graphic novel. It's it's 100 pages. Uh, it's with Joe Bennett, uh, who is freaking awesome. Great artist, um, man. Great artist. The art's all done. I mean, I think it's 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 either finishing up production or heading to the printers. Uh, so it'll once Eric uh, crowdfunds it, it's done. You wow. Know, uh, so okay. you don't have to wait for it. And then um, Joe and I liked working together so much. That he said, Well, do you want to create a character together for the Ripperverse? Yeah. And I'm like, Yeah. So we created this character because we felt there was a certain kind of character the universe needed it didn't have. Mm. And we created this character whose name I can't tell you yet. Sure. And uh, Eric said, uh, uh, We said, You know, what do you think? And Eric says, Well, you know, I'll give you, uh, you know, partial ownership, not participation, but partial ownership. That's great. Of the character. Yeah. Uh, so he gave us a really lucrative, uh, you know, participation deal. Well, and then uh, recently reached out to me again, uh, and he wanted me to do this graphic novel, which is turning into two graphic novels. And I'm in the middle of the first one of those. And uh, that's not with Joe Bennett, because Joe's busy drawing the second project. I, and I can't tell you the artist who's drawing this third project. Sure, but it, it sounds fantastic. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I'm loving this, though, Chuck, because I feel like when we were talking originally, I always felt that, like, for whatever reason, you've kind of been pushed a bit to the periphery, and and I think you've turned it to your advantage, you know, and like and like, but guys like this Eric July, they, they realise that they're like, you're a major talent, like harness it, and you've got a rusted on fan base. Like, let's face it, like there's a yeah. there, there's a fan base there, but do you know what I mean? Like, like you know what? I don't give a shit about Marvel and DC at the moment. I couldn't care less. Well, you know? Apparently nobody does. Yeah. I mean, they aren't even the majority of the market now. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's their, their combined market share is like nine percent here in the United States. Yeah, and uh, it, but like this stuff that you're you're talking about. So Alpha Core, a rough release date. What do you reckon? Are we are we a few months away or are we longer? Uh, I think he's I think he's going to do something with it before the end of the month. Oh really? Okay. 
And uh, because I mean, as I said, it's done. It's done. I mean, yeah. I, I think there might be a couple of pages left to color, but you know, I, I've got a question, and this is more of a like, um, you know, I'm a dumb dumb basically question. Um, you know, when you you write a script, okay, let's say you're writing a script for Joe Bennett, okay, obviously a fantastic artist, by the way. People check out his Hulk for starters. I mean, this guy's mm. incredible. Like, yeah. so, and that was recently he did Hulk. So I mean, he's pretty yeah. hot. Like, anyway, so you write a, I assume, full script. Um, Joe draws it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Then though, I always see like when they say you dialogue it, do you uh, add the dialogue in after he's done all the pictures? Because I always read that sometimes writers add in whole stories after the art's done. I'm always confused by that. Yeah, I don't know how you do that. I write full script. Yeah. And then um, Joe is free, or any artist is free to interpret it. Yes. And, but I break it down by panel, all the dialogue's there. Because if the dialogue's not there, how's the artist supposed to understand the drama of the situation? Oh, that's because what I you, think. I'm like, yeah. like Yeah, because, I mean, if you don't do that, you get back a bunch of pages of people with their mouths open. So, yeah, <laughs> they're saying stuff, but there's no emotion. And, you know, a, a really good comic artist is also a really good actor. They can put these facial expressions on. It really puts so much more... They put the dialogue across. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So you know, so I don't have to write. I'm mad or I'm sad or yeah. no, because I'm and, and I can write dialogue that's the them saying the opposite. Like I'm so happy and the tears are rolling down. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so you do it the right way. It sounds like like <laughs> yeah, I think so. And and the thing with Joe was, um, I always ask my artists, you know, what do you like to draw? And yeah. apparently, there's nothing Joe doesn't like to draw. Yeah, it's amazing and everything. But he said, I really like double page spreads. Yeah. So I'm like, you got it. You got it. So there's a whole bunch of double page spreads. It's mind blowing stuff. So you, you guys have got Alpha Core and another project with this hero you can't talk about. Um, so yeah. I mean, yeah, I've I, seen art from that and it's like, oh my God. Wow. I mean, Joe is such a good cinematic storyteller. Yeah. He really is. Oh, no, he's fantastic. Like, I mean, I've read yeah. the vast majority of that um, Immortal Hulk and uh, he's amazing. Like, you know, he's, he's, I'll put him up there in my top three Hulk artists, really, you know? Well, I mean, some guys can do the dynamism and the detail and not do the storytelling. Some guys can do the storytelling and, you know, not bring the eye candy. Joe's the whole package, man. Yeah. You know, every page is gorgeous, but the story just flows visually. I mean, his stories, you got to read them and then go back and admire the art because he just keeps everything moving, moving, moving. Yeah, is uh, is he around your age or is he a younger guy? I have no idea. I think I he's younger. Than me. Yeah, I, I, I think don't everybody's know. younger than me. <laughs> no, Chuck, come on. <laughs> my hip, I mean, is, uh, my <laughs> hip and back are older than you. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I mean, given when he showed up in the business, he's got to be younger than. Me. Yeah, I would say, yeah, probably you're right. Actually, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you know, really, I think that these things are going to be really big. And Eric July, I mean, and I don't pretend to be an expert on what's going on on the scene, but. He seems like he's had nothing but hits since he arrived. What a couple of years ago, yeah. like you know, it's he's he's, he's yeah. yeah, he's just done it. I mean, he's a crowdfunding king. He is the crowdfunding king at the moment. I mean, he raises millions. So, so. Someone, someone should uh, adapt my Des Moines series. I mean, why are they sleeping on that? Start, was, I need one of these crowdfunders to start throwing some money at me. Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll accept it. I'll accept it. Like, I'm not, I'm not oh, too proud. Okay. I'll put the word out. Put the word out. Know. Put the word out, Chuck, that I'm available. David Finn is open for business. <laughs> yeah, I'm open for that. Everyone knows that who listens to the show. I'm forever open for business. Now, um, <laughs> turning to 
so we've got the Ripperverse stuff. Now, I also know that you and um, your old friend Graham Nolan had this spin rack. Can you tell me yeah. how it's going, Chuck? Because I am interested to hear what's what's happening. Well, it's it's a web, what they call a web three project, which I, I'm not going to pretend I even understand what that means. Sure. But uh, to me, it's a multimedia company. Um, I mean, we do have a mobile game, mm-hmm. um, uh, Comics Chaos. It's been out for a few months. Um, what we're doing now is we're, we're making sure the website is really ready for primetime. Yep. Uh, there were a few missteps there because you don't want to direct somebody to a crappy website because they're never going to come back. <laughs> so, yeah. But, you know, we're assembling all this stuff and then, and then uh, the legal hassles, the security, because we're going to start uh, um, putting forward digital comics. Yes. Right. And uh, we've got a um, security system for them so people can't bootleg them. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. Good point. Created by one of the Spinrack founders, I and mean, we got some really, really smart tech people. Okay. And really, really smart financial and, and entertainment people here. So, so it's moving along. Okay. All the materials there, and uh, you know, eventually, you know, in a very short time, we're going to be offering digital comics, in addition to the game and then actual physical merch. You know, t-shirts, hats, mugs, and all that stuff. Wow. So it's yeah. you got big plans. You know, then move on to other stuff. So okay. Because um, I was worried. I was like, I just hope you and Graham aren't losing your houses over this. But uh, you, everyone's no, solved. No. Everyone's solved, and everyone's okay. Because I worry oh, about no, you no, guys. No. So, yeah, everyone's no, good. No, we're in good shape. Okay, that's well, that's, to worry about. That, that's good. I mean, that, that I can sleep easier at night. Um, no, but I, I, I love the idea of um, because you know I'm just going to pluck names out. Like, remember you? Well, you'd remember you did it. Like things like Law Dog or, or stuff like that. Yeah. Is that the kind of stuff that you? Because you own that, don't you? Could you? Would you put, yeah. put it out on that kind of stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. The, the, the first three properties we're pushing are Joe Frankenstein, Law Dog, and My Sister Supreme. Awesome! Uh, wow. So, and then you know every every other bit of IP yeah. that Graham and I own will yeah. be available eventually, and then we're gonna we're talking to other creators too. And okay. bring them in, allow them to be a part of Spin Rock. I think that's the only thing that's not going to be is print comics, just digital, yeah, everything but print. But I think that that is actually, you know, the way the world's moving, that's actually a really smart move, you know. Yeah, I mean, it was largely driven because, uh, you know, Graham's got his own print empire and he wasn't about to give that up, sure. And then I thought, well, you know, same goes for me, uh, I want the publishing, end of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which you know, in the long run, is probably the loss leader. Uh, yeah. When we're done, I mean, because when you talk about money and gaming, it's crazy. Oh, it's nuts! Yeah, no. Well, I downloaded the game, Chuck. Uh, loyal, oh, okay. you know, you know me. I like to do my market research as well. You know, like okay. uh, I keep the flag alive here in Australia for you, Chuck. Always, like. <laughs> oh, you always do. You yeah. always do. <laughs> I've got it on my car. Support Chuck Dixon. <laughs> Every single reader I get in Australia, I think, is down to you. <laughs> I try, um, yeah. So that's that sounds excellent. Um, I love the idea of mugs. Can I can I tell you this? I can't tell you how many mugs I have. The, almost, I've almost got a hundred percent mugs that are superhero created now, and it drives my girlfriend insane. She's like, "Do you really need it?" I'm like, "The answer to that question is yes." Yeah. <laughs> like, I like to complete the set. Um, now I have something that is. Oh, I have a question. Um, do you remember we've been talking uh, over the years about uh, the 80s comic you did? I believe it's called Mad Dogs. Are you going to release yeah. that digitally as well? Well, yeah. Um, uh, Brett Smith is recoloring that. He yeah. actually wants to uh, crowdfund it uh, himself and do a um, – um, 
you know, print version. Yeah. But yeah, that would be definitely available. Uh, you know, that's one of the things we're talking about for Spin Rack because I own it. Man, I, I would grab that in a heartbeat because I've never read it. I've only seen the online stuff because you can't find it. Like, you know what I mean? It's it's yeah. it's it's one of those things. So I think that that I think that'd be fantastic. Like, um, yeah, because we're talking about we're we're, we're going to reprint it with new with coloring because it was never in color before, and uh, and then have a thirty page new story which I've already thought of. Please, please do it, Chuck. I mean, one thing that oh, surprises no, no, me, one thing that surprises me is just how busy you are, and I, and like. You know, it's just nonstop. Is it just nonstop for you? Like, how many days per week would you spend on all these properties? Like, well, I mean, I, I work a regular work week, uh, five days, probably a little shorter than yeah, forty hour work week. But, wow. but I'm thinking about the stuff all the time. Yeah, there's never a time when I'm off the clock. Yeah, you know? I get the impression you're always in the clock. Like you just at dinner and your wife's talking to you, and you're just somewhere else in your head. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, last Sunday I was in the pool and I just had this idea. You know, and I, and I had to call uh, my Hollywood guy and tell it to him. Yeah, you know, it's cool. Right away. It's so, cool. Well, and uh, you've been doing it for such a long time, too, that I think you've yeah. built up this huge library. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like it yeah. all came out last week, you know? Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, and you know, there's always new stuff going on in the world. Exactly, you know? man. Exactly. Because the world's changing uh, faster than I ever thought it would change. Oh, well, it's just chaos, isn't it? Like, let's face it. Yeah. Like, it's just fucking yeah. chaos. Well, yeah, I think that's what it is. It's, <laughs> it's chaos. You get the sense there's no one in charge. <laughs> I, I get the sense that when the UFOs and aliens arrive, they're just going to say, what a mess. <laughs> I think they've been here and already decided it's a mess. It's like, yeah, we don't want part, any part of this. We'll, we'll come back once they've completely burned it to the ground. Like, it's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, this is a rotten neighborhood. I'm not coming back here. <laughs> now, speaking of just just chaos and just craziness. Uh, this comes from Richard. Now, when did you get your reaction? Apparently, now this is a rumour, but apparently it is true. Marvel are going to be raising their comic prices to $7 US. Um, can you believe it? Like, for this, for, let's face it, for their shit comics that they have now, like, you know. Um, Even if they were great comics, 7 bucks. I know, man. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, and I and I think I'm right in saying that the comics are twenty pages now, whereas um, back in like at least in the nineties, two thousands, it was more like twenty two. I think now. Yeah. Can yeah. you imagine, Chuck? Like this is what amazes me. Okay, remember when you, you're a kid? It's the sixties and stuff. Could you ever have imagined that you'd go to the grocery store or the you know, you know wherever the news agent and they're seven bucks? Like, what kid is going to be like? Yes. You know. I, I, I remember when they went from a dime to twelve cents. Yeah. And uh, I went to the store. I had to pick up a prescription for my, my mother at the drugstore. She gave me a quarter, you know, get, get yourself some comics. Yeah. So a quarter was two comics and a candy bar. Right. So yeah. I pick up my two comics and my candy bar. I go to the counter and the guy says, you don't have enough. I'm like, what? <laughs> What's going on? Two comics and candy bar. It's a quarter. It's 25 cents. <laughs> no, no, the comics went up in price. You, you could have <sighs> you, you knocked me over yeah. with a feather. Yeah. I mean, I was like, "What?" My my whole world economy was shaken to the ground. Yeah, and of course, I put the candy bar back. And I yeah, remember so. the, the one one of the comics I bought that day was Hulk number two. <laughs> wow! So right back at the start, man. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to buy that drugstore today if I still had that comic. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I what I look, I mean, they've just given up on new readers like and kids. They've just given up completely. Like they're like kids, and well, why would kids like comics? Like. Well, what kid, if you gave him seven bucks, will buy a comic book? You'd have to be an idiot. Exactly. You know? And, yeah. I mean, it, it, 
going back to my kid math, you know, get into the movies was 50 cents for a kid. And I, I, I could go to the movies or I could buy five comic books. Yeah. Today it's, I can buy a comic book or I can go to the movies again. Yeah. <laughs> I can buy one comic book or go to the movies. What am I going to do? I'm going to go to the movies. It's nuts. Like, I mean, because I, I must admit, I have my complaints because I'm, I must. I'm much more of a if I'm going to spend on Marvel DC now. It's it's the collections, you know, like all these collections they put out, like all these omnibuses. I, I'm I'm a sucker for them, but every now and then, I, I was like Phantom Stranger. Now I'm no Phantom Stranger expert, but I like him as an idea. You know what I mean? Like I, I like mm-hmm. the character. They did an omnibus which collected all his appearances from whenever he started in the assuming the '60s to sort of all through the '80s. So it's a lot of appearances. I looked at it, I was like, I wonder how much that would be. I picked it up. In Australia, that was almost $300. And I was like, I don't like Phantom Stranger that much. (laughs) Now, you can get it cheap. Nobody does. Yeah, I was like, like, but like my thing was like, that would have, if it had been 150 or something, I would have been like, okay, you know, it's an impulse yeah. buy. But yeah. I'm like, 300 Australian, like that's how much that they're literally kind of like raping you at the, you know, it's, it's just nuts. You know, well, I mean, it, it, you know, they got to figure out a new business model. You yeah. got to figure out. I mean, it's decades past the point where they should have thought about reformatting monthly comics. Yeah, you know, do something else. You know, this pamphlet's not working. Yeah, and you know, you know, and they're only raising the price because they're selling so little. You know, they exactly. can't. They're, they're not profitable. So it's like, first of all, why don't you make comics people want? Yeah. And secondly, yeah. reformat them in a price that seems like a value rather than you're totally getting ripped off. Totally. Well, I mean, what adds absolute, you know, insult to injury is just how crap they are. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> like, like that. Like you remember. I mean, you were there in in the like people always. You know, people. Oh, the nineties were so terrible for comics. Not a DC in the bad office. You know, no. like, like or, they were, or, the, or the Superman office, or the Superman I mean, office. I was going to say, yeah, and I yeah. and I and I bought liberally from both, and yeah. I would go down, you know, and I was a student, and and I and I would buy a few comics, but you bought a few. It was never like it wasn't like you had to take out a, a mortgage for it, kind of thing. It was, <laughs> it was, it was kind of priced so that it was an indulgence that you could have and you could enjoy. I never really cared about it too much. Um, it just feels like that they're pricing themselves into extinction because the diehard fans are, are now starting to turn on them. I think you know, like, well, I mean, yeah, it's just trending downward. It's yeah. they've been in a doom spiral for years. Yeah, they're not waking up to it. I just heard today that the company in America who puts together the free comic book day, yeah, you know, the first day, the first Saturday in May, you yes. go to your comic shop and they've got piles of free comics. They're going out of business because they can't make any money because that was a profitable business. Right. Uh, they can't make any money because – so they literally can't give them away. Wow. That's that's <laughs> so, bizarre. Like, well, that's going to be – I know in Australia that's a, that's a big day, like as in for shops. Like that's a day where shops – because you walk into the comic yeah. stores. We've got a couple of good comic stores here in, you know, central Sydney, kind of like in the city. And unfortunately – um, since COVID, you go in there now. It's a ghost town, and and like the, and the sad thing is, in one of them especially, um, it was a really good store, and it's it's more than anything. I think it's the prices that have just killed it. You know. Um, well, I mean, I mean, as an example, I mean, 
Free Comic Book Day, it worked as an it worked economically because the retailers buy the comics, mm. right? And they're paying maybe twenty cents a piece for them, and then they're giving them away. It's all promo. It's all write off. But they're ordering in numbers that are big enough that it was profitable for this company to do it. Yeah. You know, I remember back when I was at CrossGen, we were going to do a book called American Power uh-huh. until, um, you know, our political enemies decided it was an evil book oh, and they Jesus. were going to boycott the company. We had a writer at the company quit over the title. Right. And so we decided not to do it. But before we canceled it, we were going to make a first issue a free comic book day comic. Yeah. And, and it was actually profitable. We had orders for 350,000. Wow. Of these free comics, which is numbers, you know, nobody was doing at the time. Yeah, yeah, and it's a good idea. Like, I mean, I, I know that, um, well, a lot of uh, like 2000 AD and stuff, they put out stuff for free comic book day. It's a, it's a great because a lot of people, um, go to the store only on that day, and of course, they pluck right. stuff off the shelf, you know, while they're there. They're like, oh, sweet, there's a new Spider Man, there's whatever, you know, like. You get right. a lot of casual fans coming in, and it is a that's a great idea. And, and this writer who left, what a joke! Like, oh, I'm leaving. I'd be like, okay, see ya, bye bye. Yeah, see, he was all upset because we had our our hero uh, punching Osama bin Laden in the face on the cover. Why would that make you upset? I'd be happy about that. Well, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. God only knows. I, I love I when people. Know. I actually, I I think the the best thing that Obama did was kill him. You know, when he killed him and chucked him out at the sea. Like, yeah. like I'm, I'm like that, that, that. I was like, tick. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, they just should have gotten him sooner. Oh, definitely. Yeah, de- de- yeah, definitely. What I loved was the was like, wasn't one of them putting the wife in front of the body shield? They're like, that's not a problem. <laughs> like, well, like you're all guilty at this point. <laughs> you're yeah, you're yeah. in the you're in the HQ. You're guilty. You know? Yeah, you're accessories. You're yeah. part of the Manson family. Exactly. Yeah. No. That was. Um. Yeah. No. That, like. Let's not even go down that tangent. Other than to say that I certainly would have been quitting the comic. I would have been like, yes. <laughs> Maybe put some blood effect on it as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, but yeah. They didn't like it. They didn't like it. Uh, now, um, Michael asks, um, who wins in a duel? Clint Eastwood's Man with No Name, or and I'm going to butcher this name. Toshiro Mafun's Yojimbo. Who wins in a duel, Chuck? Uh, it depends on how. Close, uh, Jimbo could get right. Jimbo more within, of a swordsman? Is he more of a swordsman? Yeah, he's a swordsman. If, if he could get within twenty feet of the man with no name, he would win. But yeah. uh, I don't think the man with no name would let him get that close. No, I think I. I, I mean, he'd be taken out of the distance with a with a Winchester. Exactly. Yeah, man, what a great character. I, I assume they're both great characters. But God, my God, I love that man with no name stuff with Clint Eastwood. It's just great. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I mean, the question comes from the fact that Fistful Dollars was a Western version of Yojimbo. Oh, really? And both of them were adaptations of a Dashiell Hammett novel called Red Harvest. Well, I will say this, Chuck. I have read Red Harvest and very much enjoyed it. There you go. We'll, see, if we'll remember Fistful of Dollars. Yeah. It's the same story. Yeah, exact that's same true. Story. Yeah, yeah. And I never, to be honest... I'm famous for not, you know, putting things together. Like, I, I like, I, if, if if it was a murder mystery, and I'm Sherlock Holmes, it wouldn't get solved. I'd be like, this seems very hard. This, you know, you, you, they do in video games. I like my video games. They do the puzzles every now and then, and I just go straight to YouTube. I go, I just cannot solve this puzzle. It's it's way too hard. It's going to take way too much time. I don't have hours to spend. 
I'll go to YouTube, you know, and let's just pretend I solved it. <laughs> Someone a lot more smart and, and quick than me solved this problem. Um, yeah, but that is cool. I didn't know that. Now, his second question is, this This is a good one. What is the craziest thing to ever happen to you at a comic book convention? I assume you did hundreds back in the day. So ever, ever anything pop oh. off? Um, well, I had a crazy fan. I bet. Uh, he was kind of scary. Yeah. Um, Too obsessed or what was the story? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's one of those people, you ever meet somebody and they're always sweating? Yeah, at, uh, at a convention, yes, I have, yes. Yeah, yeah. but this is like, you know, beyond belief. Really? And uh, he knew way too much about me. It was, it was, you know, right. Yeah. From interviews yeah. and things like that. It was really scary. Because wow. you don't expect people to actually remember any of that stuff. He, he well, it's, it's tough. My life. But uh, weird things that happen. I don't know. I mean, you know, running into celebrities and not knowing who they were and <laughs> having really nice conversations with them and don't realize, you know, yeah. oh, that was Michael Bean. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, but I can't think. I off the top of my head, I can't think of anything. Yeah, really, really. Fun. You're almost like. Can't I usually you? went to bed early at night at conventions. Well, you, but you're a hard worker, so I imagine that like you're working your table, then you got to get back to the hotel, you got to punch out scripts for Batman or whatever. Like you know, the work had to keep coming. You know, you're doing about seven titles in a month. <laughs> um, I know um, some. Um, comic professionals just do a ton of conventions and I just wonder how they manage to do the work. Like, you know, like it must be so hard. Like, cause, cause I, I think traveling and conventions would take its toll, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it's mostly why I haven't done one in years. I mean, yeah. I just don't have the time. Yeah. Uh, and they don't, they don't move the needle like they used to, No. uh, you know, with social media and internet and, and doing, you know, talking to you right now, I'm reaching more people than I'd ever reached it. Exactly. So, I mean, it'd be lovely to, um, you know, meet you and, and shake your hand and go, you know, well done, you know, but here we are talking. So it's like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah, oh, oh, you yeah. know what would annoy me? You know what? This annoys me at conventions. You're behind the guy who wants to get like 40 comics signed and he's got like a fucking like bin. And I'm just like, really? Like, is this what it's come down to? Do, do you do that where you have to sign like thousands of comics? Oh, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, that what, what annoys me is the guy who shows up and he dumps a pile in front of you. And then he says, oh, well, you can keep talking to the other people in line while you sign them. And it's That's like, right. well, are you so disinterested in me? You don't want to talk to me? I mean, uh, you know, yeah, he's like, I mean, yeah. these people are standing here. I mean, when I used to get comics signed as a fan, I really didn't care about getting the comics signed. It was an excuse to meet Jack Kirby. Me too. You know, yeah, 100 And stand there and 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 you know, you know, burble on. Yeah. You know, with yeah. some meaningless thing because I because I was so, you know, terrified of meeting Jack Kirby. You're starstruck. But, it's Jack Kirby. Yeah. 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 So you know, I'm sort of there, you know, uh, giving everybody their time. You know, yeah. they came here. They came up to my table to meet me. Well, let's talk. Let's, yeah. Yeah. Not just about sitting there signing, 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 so you can go sell it on eBay. It just seems pointless to me. Like, um, I'm just like, I don't know. Like, I guess I'm just not that, like, it's just so commercial. Like, can you sign 40 comics so I can flip it on eBay? I'd be tempted to be almost like, no, go away. Like, you, yeah. but you have to, you have to be polite because you don't want to burn the bridge. So you can sit in there signing like, Jesus Christ. Well, I, you know, a lot of guys sign for autographs. I can't do it. I can't, I can't sign. So, but, I, but I put out a charity jar and I'll pick a charity 
yeah. I used to pick a charity for each convention. If it was hurricane relief for Puerto Rico or, you know, yeah. this or that. And, um, you know, it's like, hey, if you want me to sign this pile of books, you got to stick some money in that jar. I totally you agree. Know? I totally agree. Um, it's, it's like on my uh, my channel, I'll, I'll, I'll give stuff away. Yeah. You know, uh, but you got you to gotta contribute to St. Jude's Hospital. Yeah, good you for know, you. I'm not going to sell it to you, but I'm not going to give it to you either. No, no, so, good for you. You, you. It's actually, you're giving it to a charity, like at least someone's benefiting for this. Yeah. because And people are happy to do it, and apparently St. Jude's loves me. <laughs> well, I'm glad, man, I'm glad. Like, They've raised I mean, a lot of money over the years. Exactly. I mean, um, oh, yeah, yeah, it's just crazy. Like some of the stuff at conventions at times, I just, I, I, I just roll my eyes, and, and I have been with around some of the, and it's generally guys, and you're like, my God, have you guys heard of deodorant? Like it has been invented. Like just douse yourself in it. Like just, just you know, give really industrial strength is needed here. Like it's just, like the thing is, and I don't mean to take shots because I, hey, we're all geeks. You know what I mean? None of us are the coolest. Right. None of us were oh, the yeah, coolest yeah. kids in class. But like no. you do see the um, the stereotype of the basement dweller and who's just crawled yep. out for the like, the day. And yep. it, look, God bless them. They've kept the lights on of many a comic book over the years, but like sometimes when they're all together in a convention, there is an aroma, you know. <laughs> well, and then and then there's the advent of the cosplayers. Oh um, yeah, sure. Because a lot of them are they're there to be seen. Sure. Uh, they're not really participating in the convention. They 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 think they're an attraction, mm. and um, sure. a surprising number of them don't know anything about like the characters they're portraying. Yeah. I will say some of the women are an attraction. Um. Well, yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, well, and, I mean, and, you know. and some of them, some of them, I wish I could unsee. Yes, but, that as well. Um, yeah, that as well. But you know what I say about them? At least in their own way, they're making an effort. Like they're dressing up. Some of them, I think, yeah. are just young girls having. They're just a bit of fun. You know what I mean? Like honestly, yeah. like it's it's a bit of fun. It's a day out. They get to walk around as Poison Ivy or whoever else it is, and you know they don't need to have read all the comics, but. I, I, I actually think in a weird way that they add a bit of fun to what could be a very mundane day at times, you know? Well, I mean, it would be more fun if they were more fun, but yeah. they're not. They're no. so serious about yeah, their cosplay yeah. uh, to the point of entitlement. Uh, it's true. It's very, very weird. It's like you didn't create this character. No. no. I, mean, I mean, there's always been people in costume at conventions all the way back to when I started going to conventions. Yeah. But it just seems to be almost a cultish thing amongst some. I'm not going to say all of them. No. Because I love the ones that uh, show up and they're basically satirizing cosplay. Sure. You know, for the most outlandish, most obscure character you can imagine. Mm. You know, just out of fun. And I tell you, one, one of the fun, most fun cosplays I've ever seen, this was at San Diego Con, where like 25% of the people are in costume. Yeah. And you're seeing costumes that literally cost thousands of dollars to make. Mm. Really impressive stuff. Mm. And I was in a hotel of the next to the convention hall and it's filled with people all comic geeks and a guy walks in in a gorilla costume like right out of a 1930s movie love it you know not even trying to convince anybody he's a real gorilla just he's in a gorilla costume he you know took off a hanger somewhere yeah and he got he got a round of applause we just everybody just started laughing yeah it's so funny to see this guy in just an old school Hollywood gorilla costume well they're great I love those things we, we oh yeah at, at work we generally have um you know, our Christmas parties are mostly, uh, you know, costume. And we've had guys turn up in gorillas, and, and, and it's hot in there. It's it's warm. 
<laughs> like it's great fun. Um, yes. Now, um, Brian Lazara, uh, this is Brian's a great guy who runs a really great JoJo fan fiction site on Facebook, nothing but GI Joe stories, and so he's a he, he really gets into it. Um, he asks a couple of questions GI Joe related. Besides Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow, what Joe and/or Cobra would you want to do a six-issue run on if Hasbro contacted you? So, uh, do you have a character in the GI Joe universe that you'd like to do a six-issue on? Chuck? I'd love to do a Baroness and Destro miniseries, just the two of them. Oh, Jesus Christ. You've said the right thing. Yeah. yeah. She's you know, my he, favorite, he, and he's awesome too. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, in love and at each other's throats the whole time. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> like the thing about Baroness is, you, like, she's so evil, I can't help but love her. Like, she's so <laughs> she's so twisted inside. She's one of the most twisted characters ever. Like, she's just so no. evil. And Destro is not far behind in that stakes either, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, that would for me that would write itself. Yeah, you got yeah. to play with Baroness obviously a fair bit um, in your yeah. in your lengthy run. I mean, she had some really good turns. You know, in fairness, Chuck, like I'm reading um, your GI Joe stuff at IDW. I'm, I'm like I'm probably midway through the collections that they put out. It's yeah. very impressive, man. Like um, I'm at the part where spoilers, kids, for something that came out probably ten years ago when when Cobra Commander died. I was like the most stunned person on the planet. I was like, I was like, what? How did Cobra Commander? And what I, the question I had was, what made it even weirder was it happened in Cobra, and in, you're doing the main title, and you kind of had to do like a page turn a few weeks later. Um, right. How did you guys come up with that? Was that like, was that like literally you and I, I think Mike Costa, like, and you sort of said we're going to do do this in Cobra, and then I'm going to work on NGI Joe. Was it a big thing? Well, yeah, I, the guys at IDW would kind of talk stuff over with Hasbro mm. and basically say, you know, how far can we push this envelope? You know, what can we do here? What can we do there? And Hasbro gave their permission to have Cobra, Cobra Commander die. Wow, Hasbro was odd. I mean, they wanted um, oh hell, I'm not remembering the character's name. Who's the guy that ran around in the in the football jersey? That was Bazooka, yeah. Bazooka. They wanted him dead. Yeah, I, I mean, know. I and I struggled with because Hasbro yeah. wanted him dead. Don't ask me why. I don't know why. Such a great yeah. character too. Like and I, yeah. And when you killed him, you made you you were like, I think there's some hope. I think he might make it. And then it was like, oh, he's not. Bazooka's gone. Bazooka's dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it, I guess they wanted some shock value, and I assume he was probably a bit of a reader's favorite. So you get some pop off that, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you know, they had their reasoning, but yeah, a lot of the stuff would be handed to us. Like, we want to kill Cobra Commander. How are we going to go about doing? That? Right. Yeah. And it led into that Cobra Civil War, which I'm reading, which is a very interesting. Um, all the different Cobra guys and gals, you know, fighting over who's going to win. Um, and you've got um, I, what I liked is I've always found the character of um, Serpentor kind of laughable, but I like the take that you guys have, where he's like a cult leader, right? Yeah, interesting. Right. Was that was that a lot of? Um, you obviously did that after DC. And I'm thinking after Cross Gen, was that a fun experience for you, the GI Joe run? Because it was a few years, wasn't oh, it? Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, I, 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 I followed Larry Hama's run at Marvel uh, pretty right. religiously. Oh, cool. And yeah. and you know, and and you know, I got to talk to him a lot about. He would talk about yeah what he was doing, what his aims, and you know what the parameters were. So I really understood it going in. I was very conversant with it from oh. an insider's point of view, and you know, to keep it uh, like Larry's. Yeah, and then the fun part was is that I wasn't tied to any 
toy releases or anything like that the way Larry was. So I was free to dramatize this thing any way I wanted. Yeah, I was, was going to ask you that. Which yeah. didn't restrict him because he, no, he obviously were, were awesome within the restrictions of you know Hasbro's guidelines, but I didn't have any of those guidelines. Yeah, right, because, yeah, I get it. Like, Larry's run, I mean, it's amazing. Like, it, it, it is. It's just like, it just shows you what his mind can do. And as you say, he was working in these tight, tight you know, we, we want to release this toy, this toy, this toy, work this in, do this, do that. Um, right. So I was going to ask you, so, because to me, when I first started reading G.I. Joe, um, it just felt like there was just so much to, to know. Right. Like, it just felt overwhelming, you know. But... As time has gone on, I've become very conversant, but you had the advantage of you had Reddy's run, so you're like, okay, I know where I am, you know? Right. Did right. you have um, your kids, were they G.I. Joe, you know, toy fans and stuff like that? Yeah, they, they had the toys. I don't – they weren't into the comics or anything. They, yeah. They did, you know, they were like most kids. You get something like that and you make up your own backstory. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> but um, – Sure. But, yeah, I mean, they played with them. And then when I started writing them, they got more interested in the comics. It's good, and they yeah. Read you're like you're not going to bed till you read this issue <laughs> no no i was never that way i just got shelves and shelves of books and whatever they want to pull down and read that's so, great man that's great um yeah no now i have another question here um about joe joe um so this is this is also from from brian um he asks uh what advice this because brian's quite serious about his writing what advice if you'd offer it would you give someone who writes joe fiction i would say just have fun with it but what would you say chuck yeah, just have fun and just remember, you know, um, you know, keep it within, you know, Larry's parameters. That this sure. is about, this is military fantasy, yeah, and it's uh, about you know loyalty and brotherhood, sure, and you know, uh, caring about the guy next to you. That's you know, that's point. that's really what it's about, and respect for the military. You don't show the military in a bad light. Oh god no! And then, and then you're fine. Everything else yeah. is good. All falls into place. Yo Joe, <laughs> yo Joe. Remember the guy, and I forget his name. The guy who was writing Joe Joe, who was like, "I hate America and I hate the military." And I was like, "What the hell are you doing writing Joe Joe?" Like, was this just a brain fart this guy had one day? He just woke up and was just like, "Screw it." So many of the fans are either in the military, yeah. retired from the military, or yeah. going into the military. I did a, uh, we have uh, MacDill Air Force Base uh, here in Tampa, which is the center of CENTCOM, which is basically the command center for the war on terror. Right. And I did a comic store appearance down near there, and it was all guys from the base showing up. Yeah. And and one of them was like the head of some unit. Yeah. Uh, investigation unit. And he brought me a mug from them. Oh, and he told me, he says, there isn't one office or one barracks anywhere on that base where you won't see G.I. Joe pictures, action figures, you know, whatever, lunchboxes. Yeah. yeah. Because we're all into Joe. Oh, I totally, yeah, I think it's great. I was going to say, I bet when you do and have done, like, store appearances and stuff, I, I reckon you've always had a veteran come up to you and go, "Can you, would you mind, you know, thanks or something oh, no. for the G.I. Joe? Like, you know, like it's, because a lot of your work, even outside of G.I. Joe, there's a military angle to a lot of it, you know, like... Yeah, you know, like the, it's, yeah, I, I, I end up talking to a lot of vets, and I love talking to vets. It's one of the things that helps oh, me. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm getting. Uh, I've been. I, I met recently. They've been getting to know better. Uh, a combat controller who, who did seven tours in uh, Afghanistan. Wow, uh, I'd love to talk to him because I can. Oh my god, him. the inside! I can't. It's mind blowing. The stuff yeah. he told me. Yeah, and it's all great. You know, for me, it's all yeah. a risk for the machine. Yeah, but I, I've always liked talking to vets. And, you know, 
I mean, one of the things about Joe is, you know, uh, you know, different, you know, I, I talked to a lot of men and women coming back from Iraq, coming back from Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, oh, you, 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 you know, this Joe represented my unit or this Joe represented another unit. That's cool. And then the one time I had two Coast Guard guys come up and go, you never have the Coast Guard guy in the story. You got to. <laughs> so lifeguard. <laughs> lifeguard, I think. Is that him? Who is it? I think it's Lifeguard. I think. I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, I think it is Lifeguard. Yeah, yeah. So I started having him in. I said, yeah, okay, I forgot the Coasties. I'm sorry. I'll well, you, you did a great job. I mean, bouncing around those teams, um, it's got to be challenging because some, like I say, a Scarlet you know, or a Duke or something, they're in there already. But there's a, so many that you've got to shuffle oh. through just to keep it interesting and give everyone a bit of a chance to shine. Like it's, it's, I guess that's, that's part of the challenge of being a comic book writer, Chuck, isn't it really? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it was like over 200 yeah. cast members yeah. in that ensemble. And Jesus. Then, you know, all the gear and equipment. Yeah. History. It's yeah, crazy. It's crazy. It's all fun. It's, it it's, all fun. it's, it's awesome. Now the last question he had was, um, since I homage a ton of your work from your Joe run, what made you give Beachhead a sense of humor when he's known to be Captain Serious? Is it because you can be sarcastic yourself or did you just decide to give him a pulse? Yeah, I just wanted to give him a voice. Yeah. And I, and I wasn't tied to exactly what Larry had done because this was a, a reboot, albeit yes. a soft reboot. Yeah. Uh, so I just, um, I needed that character. And, you know, um, really serious guys in the military can be really funny. There's yeah, a, there's a really dark sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I was, and I wanted to show that. Well, let's face it. I mean, if you're out there in the front lines of afghanistan or iraq i mean you've got to kind of have that that death humor because you could be facing god knows what you're facing out there That's yeah yeah you need that release and, it, and it's also part of the camaraderie exactly you know yeah we're all in on this inside joke do you do you think and this is just me my voice um there's a tendency at least here in australia they've kind of slightly demonized the people who've served over there and at the same time they wash away all the sins of the fucking Taliban and the Iraqi forces and stuff like like somehow they're the good guys I don't I don't get it well I mean I think the United States is unusual in the world that we love our military and we love our yeah. cops and I don't think most countries are like that I mean I've seen I've seen a bunch of Australian war movies yeah and wow the feeling is so different particularly um Aussies in Vietnam. Yeah. And there's always that scene where they come home and, and nobody gives a shit. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they don't care where they were. They, they didn't you know. And it's yeah. like, just not that way here. I know everybody says, Oh, the Vietnam vets came back and everybody spat on them. No, not everybody spat nah. on them. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we honored them for what they did, even though they didn't give them a parade or yeah. anything else. You know, the average American appreciated what they had done. They had sacrificed. Yeah, you know, for, for for us, and you know, we didn't think they were losers or anything else. No. So. Well, I mean, yeah, I because I, I think it's terrible that um, it, it, you know, when there was like the, the pictures and some people are like spraying paint and stuff on them, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. were you over there fighting the Viet Cong or, in frankly, the Taliban? Um, I'd love to get the average, you know, Joe off his like, you know, ass on the couch, and 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 suddenly he's over there, and I'm like. These guys aren't the good guys, like, you know, hiding no. out in the hills. And, like, let's not forget the Taliban swept through the second we all left, you know? Yeah, and, and the thing is, we were over there fighting like we were good guys, yeah. you know, with the white hats, which we were, but we were 
I don't know. We 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 were fighting with kid gloves. Exactly. Uh, we weren't, yeah. We weren't doing what you know we had to do I, at the beginning. We were. I mean, basically, five hundred American Canadian troops took down the Taliban. Really. In the opening days of the war, I mean, they had no base. They had no nothing. Yeah. And they just landed there, riding around on horses because there was no other transportation. And they brought the Taliban to its knees. The mistake was is when everybody decided, well, we're going to go in and change Afghanistan. Mm. And to do that, we're going to need tens of thousands of troops. And it's like, mm. you can't change Afghanistan. No. I mean, I, <laughs> nobody's, ever been, nobody's ever been able to change Afghanistan. Well, it's famous for that, isn't it? It's famous for just resisting many invasions. Like, didn't the Russians invade in the 80s and stuff? Like uh, Russians invaded. Alexander the Great invaded. Wow. Uh, you know, the Persians invaded. The only successful in- invasion was the, the Mongol Khans. Yeah, uh, well, that basically, they come in and they, you know, kill half the population. Yeah. And then say, look, you know, you're going to pay us taxes. You're going to pay us tribute. And if you don't, we're going to come back and do this again. Yeah. And you know, yeah. the Afghans understood that and they fell in line. I mean, not to say that Afghans are evil or stupid or anything. No, no. But they just have their own culture and it's not, and it's, diverse in the real meaning of the word diverse it's they're not all one people it's all tribal yeah and and we never made an effort to understand that and really all we should have done was say look to the taliban uh we're gonna kill a whole bunch of you and then do what do what genghis khan did and then we're gonna leave Mm. if you make any more trouble we'll be back I agree. And, and we'll, we'll do this as many times as we have to do until you've learned your lesson it was almost like and this is a very outsider it was almost like we let them hide and just hide up in their hills or caves or whatever the hell they were doing and instead yeah. of the, that what i feel should have been a real coordinated push to really really go after them rather than just occupy the cities and and just sort of sit there and yeah yeah you know, they, they would build these bases out in the middle of nowhere and like dare the taliban to attack them yeah which they did but i think there was a sense correctly amongst the average Afghan that um, I can't help support the, the Americans mm. because uh, they're going to leave yeah. and I'm screwed up, yeah. which is exactly what happened. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's sad. And, and I think that there's so much um, I think that could come out in terms of not just, you know, like documentaries. And I, I think it's a topic that can really be explored because I do feel it was a very, in the end, a very expensive failure, Um Oh yeah, yeah you know. absolutely. They're stronger now than they've ever been. Exactly. Yeah, um, they're in the. Um, I, know, I know you're in the states. I know you don't care about cricket, but we're playing the World Cup, and the Afghans are in that, and they're a dangerous team. They've got some good good players. You know. Wow. It'd be kind of wow. funny if they won the World Cup. <laughs> Can you imagine if they won it? And it was like the full on like guns firing in the air and stuff. <laughs> cricket is so far out the experience of Americans. I remember. I was writing a comic book for a publisher in India. Yeah. And I had some kids playing soccer. And he says, we don't play soccer. Yeah. We play cricket. Like, true. I, I did not know that. Yeah. They play it literally in, literally in the streets. Like um, yeah. you, you'll see them playing India. They love it. They love it even more than the Aussies. And Aussies love it as well. Like we're, yeah. we're crazy about wow. it. I, I, I read a Flashman novel one time where he was playing cricket. And, and for a few chapters, I actually understood the rules. And as soon as I was done with the book, I forgot. Them. Yeah, that's that's fine. We, I was we, able to follow the action, you know, of the, of the game, but I couldn't remember any of it. 
<laughs> it's funny. Um, now, I've got my, my last question, Joe. Joe, at the height of your run, which was what? It was around 2008 to 2012, somewhere around there. Yeah. Did, you, did you guys have any idea of how many issues you were actually shifting? Like, any idea at all? I, I know we were doing well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because there were, at the beginning for a while, there were royalty payments. Oh, good. And I know that the trades and things like that, the trade paperbacks were selling well. And then also, you got to, Here's a dirty little secret. Here's sure. a breaking news inside sure. baseball. Sure. Uh, Hasbro bought a lot of copies. Right, yeah. A, a lot of the print run was, was purchased by Hasbro as giveaways. Right, like yeah. Promo kind of stuff. So that certainly helped. Yeah. Well, it was such a strong run that I just wondered because, you know, I'm, I know you coming on was, it was a huge name to it and I think um, would have helped. Now, it's amazing to me compared to that, the shit they're churning out at IGW now. Like it's a it's a real shame, man. Like yeah, it's it's pretty much over for IDW. Sadly, I mean everything changed there. Yeah, uh, when Ted Adams left, I think it was the end. I agree. He, I, he was the yeah because like he was the hardest soul of the company. Yeah, it was so strong, and they've just they've just look they've just they've just lost the plot. They also lost a lot of licenses, including Jojo. Um, yeah, which probably comes down to they were probably weren't selling in those numbers. Now. I want to mention this, Chuck. Rambo first kill. I said to you last time we spoke, in my life, when I was a you know, a young kid, there was before Rambo and then there was after Rambo. <laughs> like everything changed. when I said first blood part two, everything changed for me. The war went from we were playing war games of basically our version of World War Two. It went all Vietnam after that for, for, for you know, ages. Like um how's it going with the Rambo first kill? Um the graphic novel. I, I, I know it's all done. I, mm-hmm. I I'm assuming it's at the printers because it was supposed to be out sometime this month. Right. Okay. So it's it's close. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Richard kept the in demand going. It's still going. Right. Uh, he was going to keep it going till the end of August, and then you know he thought, well, why not you know keep going right up until fulfillment. Yeah. So, and and so orders would have been strong, I assume. I think it it smashed its targets, didn't it? Oh yeah. 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 Easily. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Yeah, it did very well, and it'll probably do even better in the in the final days of the in demand. Yeah, R- Richard admits he hasn't ramped up the promo uh, yeah. as much as he should. So, so just before it gets ready to fulfill, I'm sure he'll be out there banging the drum, and we'll, we'll run up another, you know, fifty to a hundred thousand. Oh, awesome! Now, like you, am I right in saying this? You co-wrote this with Sly. Did Sly give you a treatment, or you did it all yourself, or what was the story? <sighs> I just sort of told him what I wanted to do, ran yeah. it by him, yeah. and, and then he got a few suggestions. Yeah. You know, things he knew about Rambo that nobody else does. Sure. If that makes any sense. Of course you it know, does. In, in his mind as an actor and, and, and oh. screenwriter and stuff like that, he had yeah. things that he wanted to impart, and I just included them. It's so, awesome. Uh, I, I, I pretty I, much I had a free hand. I can't wait for it, Chuck. I'm so excited about this because... Uh, it, it, it's pretty cool, and most of the events in it are stuff that were told to me by by veterans I, there's not a lot of it i made up and do uh, you use, rambo in it do you do you remember um in first blood part one um i watched it again not long ago at the beginning of it before all the shit kicks off he goes and visits like a guy uh like a, who was in his platoon um a, right. a black guy from memory i think and the guy's died i believe right. is, is is like he in it uh, no, we want to get to that. We want to keep doing these, and we yeah. want to do. We want to introduce those. He names a bunch of people. Yeah, that yeah. he either has visited or is going to visit. 
Yes. We, we want to put them in the second volume. We, we already have a story. Richard came up with this insane idea for a story uh, for the second one. Is the colonel have... in it? The colonel? Yeah, the colonel will be in the second one. Awesome. Oh, man, uh, I need this. Because this. First Kill basically takes him from Arizona high school student. It explains how he ends up getting in the Army. Yeah. Uh, how he enlists. And then, and then we, we skip basic training because I can't tell that story better than Full Metal Jacket. And yeah, good, great, and we great go, movie. We, we go right in country, and he's in Vietnam as a as a you know green recruit, and we uh, show how he becomes yeah Rambo. Uh, Rambo. Wow, uh, man, you've got me at hello there because what an amazing series of movies, and and I still think look, I mean, look, First Blood Part Two was one of my movies that I basically just lived and died for. <laughs> But First Blood Part 1 is amazing as well. No, it's, like, no, it's a great movie. It's a great film. Like, you go back and watch that, and you're like, wow, now I get this, like, big yeah. time. What a prick did Brian Dennehy play? You know? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, he's just, like, he actually gets what's coming to him, really. You know, like, yeah. when you think about it. Yeah. Like, um, no, it's it's great. Um, now, this reminds me, I mean, obviously, it's quite similar in concept uh, when you guys did Punisher Invades the Nam, which was just fantastic, you know? Um, yeah. Like, for me, Chuck, you did so much Punisher, uh, and it was great. But when, when you guys did Punisher Invades the Nam, oh, it was just the sweetest spot of all for me. I could have read those forever, you know what I mean? Like, it just, <laughs> it just was... He was just such a hard charger. But in a way, Rambo... When I think about Rambo, it's different because he's already pretty hardcore just from Vietnam, whereas with Punisher, right. the, the real tragedy of his life, it happens afterwards, you know? Right, right, right. Like, that's the, it's sort of the difference, isn't it? Like, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, with Punisher, it's like, you know, Vietnam. It, you know, Larry Hama told me this one time. He said, uh, people talk about how people came back from Vietnam. And he says, it all depends on who you were going in. Yeah. And he goes, some guys, it made worse. Some guys came out the same. And other guys, it made better. You know, uh, so, you know, uh, to me, Frank Castle was forged in Vietnam and then successfully was successfully getting past it. Mm. And then his family got killed. Exactly. And and then he's right back in the middle of it. And and whereas for Rambo, he just seems like a character who could never get past it, who was never going to be a part of the real world again. It was such a... Dirty war for Rambo, I think. You know what I mean? He was asked to do things yeah. just beyond, you know, he was just, it was just way too much, you know? Yeah, and, and we established in First Kill that he was, you know, somewhat of an outdoorsman to begin with. Yeah. So he was perfect fodder yeah. for special forces and stuff. This was a guy who was comfortable in the wild, comfortable using a gun. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and just, you know, it's like they always say, you know, um, here in the United States, I mean, you know, the, the core of the army is white trash guys from sure. the Deep South. It's sure. true and always has been. Mm. And the other group that makes up a lot of the American military are American Indians. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. always said that if, 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 if everyone joined the army at the rate American Indians join it, they would never have a problem with recruitment. Yeah. Well, it's, it, you know, in all fairness, like a lot of them get off the reservation by following the army track, yeah. you know, you know, and, yeah, and, and God, bless, God bless them for doing it too, because someone has to. You know? No, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm from white trash, so I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I think I've become it. 
<laughs> well, well, you know, you, you, you guys are way trash. You were dumped there by the British. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They didn't want anything to do with us. You know what I mean? Like they washed their hands of us and said, good luck. Well, it's, it, hey, it's the same people. It's the same people. It's the Scots and the Irish. And, yeah. You know, no, it's 100%. Well, well, we, I, yeah, I come from, if you go back in my whatever stock, um, actually, my dad has a claim. And believe this, if you will, he claims that he he has traced that we that the Finn family comes from Ned Kelly stock. Who, if you don't know Ned Kelly, he's like a famous bush yeah. ranger from Australia. He's like Australian folklore. And then he goes and the and he goes and then the other side is from Winston Churchill. And I'm like, what a weird mix. Um, now wow. this is based on my dad's research, so I think we really need to qualify this with like you know, it's not exactly a DNA test he's got going on here, but you know. <laughs> well, what, my dad always claimed that we were direct descendants of George Elijah Dixon, who uh-huh. was the pilot of the Hunley, the first submarine ever used in war. It was a Confederate submarine that sank a Yankee uh, Yankee vessel. That's cool. And then sank itself. Okay. And we always thought, you know, yeah, you're, you're full of crap. You know, you're just telling us this. And then we found out years later it was true. We are direct descendants of George okay. Elijah Dixon. That's cool. Hey, yeah, everyone's everyone comes from somewhere, so you know, like I'll take Ned Kelly. I like Ned Kelly. Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean the Dixons. I mean the reason why there's an X in my name is we we were Ulster Scots. Yeah, we knew anybody. We knew anybody think we were English. No, and uh, an awful lot of Dixons were brought here to the Carolinas in chains. Ouch! Uh, after after the Jacobite Rebellion. Jesus. So um, you know they, they 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 shipped us all to Ireland. And the Irish didn't want us, so they, they had to take us somewhere, so they brought us here. Hey, you've come a long way, Chuck, from chains yeah. to, you know, like Tampa there Bay. You, go. <laughs> you got your library behind you. You're like, look at me. Um, <laughs> now, Neil Matthews asks, um, if, if I could ask Chuck, is there anyone bar Frank Castle that could be the Punisher? I assume he means in the Marvel Universe. Um, I really don't see it. Yeah. I don't. I don't see it. I know they think that they can just put somebody else in that place, but yeah, um, they think that, Chuck. But like, you know. yeah, Punisher is an outsider character. Yeah, I don't think he's ever comfortably been at home in the Marvel universe. I mean, what are they? Oh, Daredevil's the Punisher now. No thanks. You know, no. let him be Daredevil, like please, and, and let Punisher beat up on him every now and then. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the Daredevil's not going to punish anybody. Exactly. Yeah, it's Punisher, but he won't kill. Well, that's not Punisher. No, no, no. It's it, it, you know, it. There's no way to do that character without Frank Castle. They're wedded together. It's yeah. you know, it's like Superman this and Clark Kent. Who cares? Exactly. Although I did it. like, and I know it was a you know a sort of a stunt when when you guys had the different Punishers and you had Lynn Michaels. I did like her, yeah. and I liked her design yeah. too. Now that yeah. was very much a story, but it was fun. Right. You know. Well, I always thought you know if, if you had something had someone like Frank Castle. And, you know, people start hearing about them, either our urban legend or through the media, mm. that there's somebody out there taking care of business. You and other people say, oh, I want to do that, too. 100%. So I had Lynn Michaels and I had that character Payback. Oh, yeah. You know, and they were both, you know, doing business. Yeah, they're cool characters, man. Like, it's a shame. We all know, like, let's face it, the coward that he is, Tom Brevoort. And, and like, you, you know, basically just, like, fucking blocking you from punishing everything else that he does. Like, there's no way he'd, he'd greenlight any of your old stories and stuff coming back, you know? No, they seem to have avoided publishing as much of my stuff as possible. Which, know, yeah, which is annoying. 
but you know, like, um, it, it is annoying because I reckon you could put an omnibus of your Punisher out that would sell like absolute hotcakes to the Punisher fans. You know? Well, I mean, largely because most of that stuff has never been reprinted anywhere. If you don't get the original comics, there's no other way to read it. Yeah. Which uh, so this seems to be a big game. But now they've pretty much disowned the Punisher. I know. Now, uh, now it's never going to happen. It, unfortunately, one of the sad things is you'll hear good writers now. Uh, when pressed, they'll start dis- dissing the Punisher because they just want to keep their jobs. You can just tell. They're just like, oh, you know, Punisher's terrible. Oh, 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 dear. Oh, it's just horrible. Like, and it's like, how many other characters kill? A lot. You know, like, it's, right. he's not like the only character who's ever killed. You know right. what I mean? Like, it's, it's like... Well, hey, I mean, you know, yeah. you've got characters like Deadpool and Harley Quinn. You know, yeah. they kill people and joke about it. You know? Yeah, I know. Uh, they're sadistic. You know, Punisher's never been sadistic. Like I said, he's not a good fit at Marvel. You no. know, he's not a good fit in a universe where there's the Hulk and the thing. No, I know. But but you guys in your glory days, you sort of didn't he didn't do a hell of a lot with the other heroes from memory anyway. It was a lot of you did a lot of crime, you know? Yeah, I, I, I like the street level stuff. Every once in a while they force a crossover on me. I mean I wrote you know, one with Ghost Ghost Rider and Daredevil and That was you know, cool though. I enjoyed I think that. we had Spider Man show up, but yeah. Um, I like the street level quality of life crimes. Mm. None of the editors did, but I'm like, but the readers love this stuff. Well, I I love it when he's taking care of stuff they understand. Dude, if I was an editor and I'm seeing the sales and and I'm seeing the reaction and it's all positive, I'd be like, just keep on doing what you're doing, man. Like, well, they wouldn't understand what was, they they never, they would never understand why the sales went up or down. Yeah. Depending on what was going on in the, they always get the wrong impression. I remember a story I heard in the early 70s. There was an issue of Jonah Hex. Yes. Which was a big seller for DC, yeah. which sold a lot more than the other the issue previous. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, what is the reason? Yeah. And they landed on the reason was that the cover was primarily in like this burnt orange color. I thought readers must have been attracted to that. Right. Oh, I've never bought a comic book because of the color on the cover. No. Okay. No. What was on the cover was in the foreground. It's a famous cover. There's a guy at a watering hole. He's obviously just taking a big drink from this watering hole. And up on the hill behind him, against the burnt orange sky, is Jonah Hex holding a poisoned water hole sign. Oh. <laughs> so this guy's just killed himself. He's got like the X, the X on it or something. <laughs> right. But that's what sold the comic. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't ever... so, so, so a few months later, like there's all these DC comics with burnt orange. Oh, so funny. That's so funny. It. I mean, I guess it's it's committee thinking sometimes, I think, too. They they, they they go in too deep, way too deep. And it's like, right. guys, a lot of times it's obvious what, what is really the reason. You know, like, yeah, it's crazy. Well, somebody somebody ta- told me recently, and I, I never realized this because I've never been part of like a corporate thing. Mm. Um, he said, there's always the guy in the room who wants to take over and say, well, we're going to do it this way. And he says, it's not always the same guy. And he says, and it's never the boss. You know, and there's some guy who says, I see it this way. And he says, generally, everybody falls in line unless there's someone there to say, no, that's not right. We need to talk about this more. And I said, well, that was my problem at DC and Marvel because I was always the guy saying, no, nah, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you I was like, to... there's got to be a better way to do this than that. <laughs> well, shit. It was, remember the time there was in No Man's Land they wanted to reveal 100% that Bruce Wayne was Batman or the other right. way around to um, Gordon and you were like right. you know what guys 
Slow down. <laughs> Same situation. The writer had everybody snake charmed into agreeing with them. And I'm looking around the room saying, you know, on another day, none of you would have agreed with this. This is idiotic. Yeah. This is stupid. It's it's too it's too permanent to me. You know what I mean? Like it's it's no. too like you can't come back from that unless you no. literally do a mind wipe. Because you want that you want that deniability factor, you know? Right. Um, I think I, like it just takes the fun out of it as well, you know. To you me, just like, can't mess with continuity to that degree. Yeah, you know. the stupidest, what well, not the stupidest. One of the stupidest things I did in Batman in the last twenty years was when Commissioner Gordon, and we all know him well. He's like in his fifties. He's got the mustache. Sometimes overweight, definitely a smoker. Became Batman, and I was like, "Does it get any dumber?" You know, yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. like like I just, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that that story got greenlit as a in continuity main storyline thing. You know, and that was one. Of, that was one of those meetings. Some guy came in. And he was the only guy that seemed to have a fresh idea. That's yeah, fresh, but it's stupid. It's dumb. It's yeah. and it's Every like story does not need to be told. And he got what he de-aged like thirty years so, suddenly somehow. Like I mean, he would have been the worst Batman ever if you know, like That'd be awful. Have a heart attack like two days in. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He, he, you know, the bad guy runs away. He's only able to chase him for like half a block. And w- also, he's so good at being Commissioner Gordon. Like, so, right. you know, anyway, uh, it's just crazy. Yeah. Now, Michael had a question here. In the 70s, Hostess ran a series of one page ads depicting various superheroes saving the day with their products. It was the Hostess Pie stuff. Uh, if you wrote one, which character would you use and which flavor of, of fruit? And or Twinkie would save the day. You, you know these ads we're talking about, Joe. Oh, I remember. I remember. Uh, I remember. Unfortunately, sometimes they were the best drawn pages in the comic. Yes. Um, um, I guess I'd go toward the Punisher. I don't know. <laughs> I'd love to see it. I don't know why Punisher. Punisher promoting Twinkies would be, that be would great. Be yeah, you know, like a bit, a bit of fun. Like bring the yeah. fun back. Um, he also asked a question, and, and Michael's one of these guys. He, he seems to know your every step. Um, do you have any harrowing tales of survival from the time you worked at a Seven Eleven? You obviously, oh. I assume, pre-comics uh, were working at Seven Elevens, Chuck. Yeah, yeah, I worked at Seven Eleven for about a year. I did graveyard shift on weekends. Any stick-ups? Uh, huh? Any stick-ups? Like you know, like no, no. I I told the owner uh, when he hired me, I. You know, he said, I want to hire you. I want you to do work weekends overnights. Sure. And I said, tell me the truth. He looked at my height and weight before he looked at anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, he says, yeah, yeah, I need a big guy. You know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I remember saying, you know, what are your limitations on self-protection? Right? <laughs> I like it. We were, not, like, we were just outside. We were just over the Philadelphia border, right? Yeah. Outside West Philly. And uh, he said, I don't care. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I brought in a thirty-eight. I cool. had it sitting on top of the vault near the register. And yeah. We had cops come in and they'd look at it, look away. <laughs> yeah. But we, but I told them, I said, if there's ever a stick up, that's the night I quit. Yeah. I said, because they come in threes. And he said, you know, you're what? You're right. They do come in threes. Yeah. If one guy does it, there's going to be a few more. And, but we did have some fights. Yeah. And uh, I didn't. <laughs> one thing he told me, he says, Look, if somebody steals something, it's mine. Don't don't fight with them. Don't go after them. Sure. I said, why would I do that? It's yeah. ridiculous. Second night there, a guy stole um, some stomach medication. Yeah. 
and I went out in a lot after him. I was so angry. I just yeah. saw red. I didn't yeah. know what I was doing. You became the Punisher all of a sudden. You were just like, fuck this. Like, I'm, um, you know, yeah. It was like, you're making a fool of me. Yeah. I saw you steal it, you know. Yeah. Um, but I had stuff happen like uh, uh, junkies used to come in at two in the morning and buy sure. candy. Right. And I had a guy come in and he's wearing like swimming trunks, <laughs> bare feet, no shirt. And I'm like, well, how's this guy going to pay me? We had his money in his mouth. Wow. And, and I. <laughs> I took a piece of paper and I said, spit it out. And he spits Jesus. it onto the paper and I put it in the microwave. <laughs> that is weird, man. Like, yeah. so that's but crazy. We, yeah. we had a fight one night. Um, a guy pulls up drunk, leaves his girlfriend in the car, and some kids are out. They come over to the car and start saying rude stuff to her. Well, I don't know. I'm watching this like a movie through the glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he buys whatever he's buying, goes out. She tells him those kids call yeah. me a name or yeah. you know, whatever. And he goes in the car. He's drunk. He's drunk. Pulls out a pair of nunchucks. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and starts doing his best drunken Bruce Lee. Well, these guys have never seen, they didn't know what they were, but they quickly figured them out. And they had him down the ground beating the crap out of him. Oh, shit. Right? So I, so me and a bunch of customers are just watching the parking lot. Like I yeah. said, it's like watching a big screen TV. Yeah. And I go over to the front doors, and they go, you're not going to go out there, are you? I said, no, I'm locking these doors. That fight is not coming in here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, yeah, it's it sounds like the Wild West, frankly. Like what happens at 2 a.m. Yeah. is never good, basically. No, you know, no. In no, West it's, Philly. It's not, <laughs> but, but, but I really saw, like, the ass end of human nature. Uh, yeah. You know. you know what it reminded me of? Um, that Chuck. Um, Dixon um, Punisher story the in the checkout I think it's called the Punisher and he's, he goes to get some groceries for micro yes. and like all hell breaks loose it's one of the best one shot Punisher stories and I'm just like because when you're seeing that stuff you know the the writer in you you're storing that aren't you in your head you know what I mean yeah you know oh, it's, yeah. it's almost like it, you have a recording device and you know you, you you see a segment of you see a segment of humanity at 2 to 3 a.m at night in convenience stores that is just as you say the ass end it's 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 the it's the stuff that doesn't make it onto tv you know yeah yeah it's the absolute dregs you know and, and i got to talk to a lot of cops yeah yeah i t- tell you one funny one was uh it was late one night it was always late and this girl comes in and you know you know how women walk when they're really mad sure. well that's what, how she was walking yeah and she walks to the back of the store and she's a petite little girl this big guy comes in after her and he's all, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What yeah. can I do? Like, okay, we're seeing the middle of a fight. They go around the corner and they're in the blind spot. We couldn't see him on the cameras, couldn't see him in the mirrors. And I'm hearing this sound, undeniable sound of, of a fist landing on over and over and over Ooh. again. And I was with another guy who was bigger than me. And we're around that corner and we see down at the end of the aisle, She's leaping up off the ground to punch him in the face. <laughs> I love it. So it was her and him, and we we're like, okay, okay, we're, we're going to go back to work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he probably deserves it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Now, I have a question here, and I, and I resisted Googling this. The question is, who is John Galt, G-A-L-T? Do you know the answer to this question? Yeah, that's from, um, oh, it's from the Ayn Rand novel. Uh, <laughs> okay. Oh. Damn, I can't what a question. Why would that be a question for you? Rhetorical question. Okay. 
Well, anyway, so... Nobody wants us to know they read an Ayn Rand novel. Okay, well, you, you know what, guys? Sometimes your questions, like... And I assumed it was going to... I thought, I thought it sounded like a linebacker for the Patriots or something in the 70s. I was, <laughs> I was hoping there was a better story than it's a character in a novel. Like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yes. Um, improve your questions, people. Um, now, uh, DC, uh, this is a question, is rumoured to have had infighting or at least rivalry between the various title officers. Uh, when you were in the bat office, did you experience any ill will from the others? Did the Superman office ever key your car, Chuck? They wouldn't have dared, would they? Uh, no, no, but there was a lot of, um, particularly after Denny and Archie were gone, Yeah, uh, there was a lot of, like, uh, backstabbing done at editorial oh, yeah. meetings. Oh, no. You know, they had a list of freelancers they didn't like and freelancers they liked. And oh, uh, right. a, a, a higher up in the company told me about it. He said, you know, there's two editors. They said they go to work on you and your reputation every time there's an editorial meeting. They find a way to bring you up and, really? you know, uh, devise a way to get rid of me, which they couldn't get rid of me because I had four titles that sold well. There was no yeah. reason to get rid of me. Exactly. Uh, they would have had to explain to Paul Levitz why they were getting rid of me. Wow. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, DC is, a, I mean, DC is a really weird company, much weirder than Marvel. I mean, going all the way back. Yeah. With all their strange secrets and sweetheart deals and, and unexplained things. That every single Bat Summit, we would be asked, you know, what, what villains would you like to use in the mm. next six months? And we would always say, well, what about the Wraith? And it was like, no, 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 no one can use the Wraith. You can't use the It was like, why? I don't well, even know who you. the Wraith is. Like, yeah. You can never, he was in a, 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 I think, a Detective Comics annual drawn by Michael Golden. It was okay. written by Michael Right. And it was a really good story. Yeah. Uh, but we were never allowed to use that character. They would never explain why. And it was hundreds of uh, imponderables like that. Right. That sort of well, higher up sort of stuff. You maybe ownership yeah. rights or something, you know? Oh, yeah. The fight between the Bat Offices and the Teen Titan Office uh, <laughs> to get Nightwing back into the Batman. Thank okay. God you did. Thank God you did. It was years. It was years. It was this epic fight between yeah. editors. Can, can I and say so finally that? Paul Levitt's mediated and said, yeah, he, you know, we got these cartoons coming up and everything yeah. else. Dick Grayson really needs to be back in the back. Yeah. Well, hey, newsflash, kids. He was Robin, the original. Right. Like, you, 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 I've always felt, I don't know how you feel about this, I've always found the Teen Titans lame. You know, like, just, it's just not for me. You know what I mean? I, I enjoyed them in the 60s. Sure. But then the 80s iteration, it just seemed like, Okay, we're we're trying to do X Men, but we're not real sure how to do it. Exactly, uh, but look, hey, I, I know it's loved. I know listeners love oh, it. Yeah. Oh, look! Yeah. By the way, I know my co-host Rich loves it, and many times yeah. I've told him my thoughts, and <laughs> he's got my I mean, feedback. I mean, that's fine. You know, yeah. if you like it, you like it. Exactly. I just, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it. And it's, he, like, I, it's like on my own show, somebody was like, "Well, should I read Neil Gaiman or Alan Moore?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, just do try it." Them. You know, yeah. uh, Neil Gaiman is not to my taste, but I, I have to acknowledge he's a good writer. Yeah, I think he's just yeah. doesn't write anything I want to read. But but also, I, my advice to those people is, I, I get it, they're coming to you as like your experience. Also, read it for right. yourself and just make your own decision. Like, well, what they what they really want to do is they want to hear me bitching about. Oh, them. they're trying to feed you. I'm really not ever going to do. No. So. Well, and also, I mean, Alamore is, well, let's face it, he's kooky, but he's written some incredible comics, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he's he's nuts. He's nuts. He's, yeah. he's completely nuts. We kind of so love him for it. He's so nuts. 
I didn't think he was com really completely nuts until recently when he gave all of his DC royalties to Black Lives Matter, a group that was proven here to be a complete fraud. That so, tells me he's got like too much money. The pyramid scheme after the pyramid scheme guy had gone to jail. It's like, what are you doing? Do you really think? I mean, he he must have a lot of money if he's doing that. And I also question whether he really did that. You know, like, well, well, uh, you know, who knows? But even even saying you're going to do that, it it's weird. It's weird. It makes you look stupid. It does. I mean, if you had done it two years ago, I go, okay, you fell for it. Yeah. But now everybody knows it's a fraud. He's still doing it, is he? Like, it's like, yeah. wow, well, Alan Moore, you, you are nuts, Alan Moore, and good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey. I'm <laughs> a talented guy. Very, very talented guy. Very talented. And, and you know what? Like, I mean, he's written so many good comics. But, God, you can go all the way back to 2000 AD where I read his Halo Jones in a collection. Yeah. And this is before yeah. I even really knew he was a big deal. You know what I mean? And I was like, this right. is incredible. Like, and that was that was in the 80s. And that was obviously before Watchmen and everything. But, like, he's a guy, in general, uh, in general, what I've read, very high bar. You know? Yeah. 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 So it's, but, absolutely. hey, is he kooky? Hell yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, now, on Arctunes, I just want to briefly mention, My Sister Suprema, you really seem to have found the secret source on this one, Chuck. I know you've got a print edition out now, correct? Yes, we do. And yes, how's it do. going? Because I read the um, the strips, and I read a few before the um, before this uh, you know interview. A lot of fun, man. A lot of fun. Yeah. Who's your artist no, on I mean, that? Uh, it's Anthony Gonzalez-Clark, who, uh, I thank God I found him. Because I came up with My Sister Suprema years and years ago, but I could never find the right artist. Yeah. Um, Anthony came along, and obviously, stuff is amazing, uh, and it um, and kids like it, which yeah. which always pleases me. And he, um, you know, I'm writing a humor thing, but he makes it so much funnier. Yes, uh, he really brings an awful lot to the party. Oh, I think so too. I I actually think um, it's one of those comics. The visual component is such a key factor. You know what I mean? Because oh, yeah. you, you set it up and. I always loved as a as a from a young kid. I used to read the comic strips in the paper. You know, like the Phantom, for example. I read the Phantom right. for years before I even read proper comics. Uh, I get that feel when I'm reading these Arctoons, um things, which I love. You know, it's like a little snippet. It continues on. Little right. snippet continues on. Right, right. Did, did you, as a as a youngster and and growing up, things like the Phantom and the strips? Were you were you reading that kind of stuff in the paper? Mistakes. I didn't follow the Phantom because he wasn't in a paper we bought. Right. Uh, but I used to follow, you know, Little Abner, Little Orphan Annie, Tearing the Pirates, Steve that kind Kang. of stuff. Yeah. I used to follow all of them religiously. Yeah, I, I think that they're a, they're a really great entree into that kind of visual storytelling. Yeah. You know, and I also think yeah, uh, a lot harder to write than people would realize. You know, gotta be so well. Yeah, and you know, uh, you know, in their heyday, they had such an enormous audience, and you had to keep that audience engaged. I mean, the the bar was set high. Yeah, um, because they expected the quality of a, of an American comic strip to be equal to, say, the script for a movie. Yeah. Um, so you really, I mean, I I just read, um, I think nineteen thirty three to nineteen thirty four, Little Orphan Annie. Yeah, and uh, man, oh man, it's like salted peanuts. Like I couldn't put it down. Yeah, uh, it's amazing stuff. That's great, man. Like, yeah, it's it, it's fascinating. Now, um, question from Kane Door. I think that's how I'm pronouncing that name. Oh correctly. yeah, yeah, okay, I'm okay. Uh, okay, for Chuck, how does he feel about audio dramas? Has he written one? Would he? 
And which character types, traits do you think lend themselves to the format? So audio dramas, Chuck. Yeah, I, audio dramas, it's, um, it'd be like writing a screenplay or a play, and that's just not my thing. I mean, okay. I'd love to have some adapted. Mm. And I really think um, horror works better than anything in audio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because uh, you're seeing whatever it is scares you most in your head. Uh, you can do the sound effects too. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, there's, uh, I've heard some like really effective uh, adaptations of uh, Lovecraft. Wow. Okay. And of course, you know, here in, the, here in the United States, some of the most popular shows were, were horror. Yeah. Lights Out, Suspense, things like that. And, and they're really, they really work. I tell you something, uh, I, I know that they're old, but like I, I listen on the podcast format to the old um, radio episodes of Gunsmoke and Dragnet. Yeah. They're great. You know, they like, are. They, they did a lot of stuff. Isn't it funny that we've come full circle that you could do an audio drama now or you could you can listen to an old Gunsmoke and, I mean, it's like, you know, they're... It's there's, not that different. No, no, it's not. Like, you know, and are you saying well, that would be a challenge for you to write? You, you feel you'd rather be adapted or...? I'd rather be adapted. I'm not really good at breaking things down with the idea that actors will be saying them. Okay. Like that. Okay. And I try to write screenplays, and it just isn't my thing. I just really don't like it. Sure. As far as old radio, if, if you like radio westerns, there's one called Fort Laramie. Yes. That thing is that is like, what a what's a great show. It, am I right in saying that's Raymond Burr voicing? Yeah, it's Raymond Burr. I love Raymond Burr. Like he's got yeah, a great. That's an awesome show. The guy who did, um, oh my god, what's his name? It always escapes me. He was Jake and the Fat Man, and he does Gunsmoke. Um, oh yeah, William Conrad. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Like, and I knew him from the eighties when he was like really old playing the Fat right. Man, and uh, he was right. great then. But uh, he was almost dead. You know what I mean? <laughs> but he was great. I, I, I just read recently. I mean, uh, Jimmy Stewart did a series called Six Shooter, mm. and I just read recently the reason why he did it is because uh, his movie Western characters were so psychotic. Mm. He wanted to play a nice guy. <laughs> wow. He, so basically yeah. they wrote a Western where he's the nice guy. Because okay. in, in his 50s Westerns, he's he's a little crazed. I'd love to check it out. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he, he's kind of against type, isn't he, in those Westerns? Yeah, yeah. he was fighting hard to not be yeah. typecast as the boy next door. Exactly, yeah. Um now, uh, it was Batman Day just recently, so I, I, of course, had a couple of Batman questions. Um, now, in the lead-up to this, I saw, by the way, the spoiler. There's a fan movie of the spoiler character, who I believe is one of yeah, the yeah. characters. Like, she's a great character. Stephanie Brown, correct? Right. Steph. Um, yeah. They should do more with her. I, I feel like, um, you know, there, there could be... Obviously, this fan movie does well, but I'd, wouldn't you love to see a fucking Batman movie... Sorry for swearing. Where that features, like, a spoiler and, and, like, some people. Like, that last Batman movie I thought was chore with Robert Patterson. Like, yeah. good at times, Chuck, but overall a chore. You know, like, yeah. very slow, Chuck. Like, let's get very, very slow and let's take everything very, very seriously and be super slow about it. And it was just, it was like watching paint dry at times, you know? It's just the last thing you want to do with a comic book, anything, is make it slow and too serious. And um, yeah, what they did with yeah, Riddler, I mean, I'll never understand. Um, yeah, I mean, my argument on all these things is, you know, write a good story first and then put Batman in it. Don't make a movie of yet another movie about Batman. We yeah. know all about him. We know what he is. Stick him in a movie 
and, yeah. and let him do his stuff. We, we've kind of got it. We we understand Batman by now, you know? Right, right. <laughs> like, tragic, he's alone, or his parents die. He's sad about it. We, you know, he was okay, seeing now, Zorro. He was seeing Zorro. We understand that as well. Um, right, right. <laughs> no, they don't like, need to be, have it explained to us again. Dude. You, have you seen what they did with Riddler? Because it's the most weird Riddler. Yeah. Like, good luck. I don't know if that person who wrote that for Riddler had ever read a Riddler comic or seen the fucking TV show or done any Riddler research at all. Like, Well, if they had, they would have gone, wow, this character's really hard to write, so I'm going to change it. Change it to someone else. Make it easier to write. <laughs> yeah, it was. What, what I loved is when it came out, I had friends of mine going, wow, it's like seven. I'm like, seven with all the edges shorn off. Like, big time. Like, the most pacified version of Seven I've ever seen, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, then you, and then you add in the costume characters and it all seems weirdly fetishistic. Yeah, yeah. no, like, it was... This is not right. This is... I enjoyed... You know. I enjoyed uh, the guy, Matt Reeves. I did enjoy his Planet of the Apes movies. Didn't love them as much yeah. as the originals. And I expected more from his Batman than I got. I, I really hope he punches up the script for the next one because it needs to be more exciting, you know? Yeah, I you know, I like I said, you know, I just wish they'd write a good story and stick him in it. Yeah, hundred percent. Now, in the lead up to this, I read Bullet for uh Bullock again for Harvey Bullock. Um I'd forgotten what a great issue this was, Chuck. Um <laughs> like dude, what's it's so fun when you go back and read something that I haven't read in twenty years. You know what I mean? And I'd forgotten the twist, uh, it's got that gag ending. Um with with this one like, did you know at the time, like the Genesis? Did you you did this with Graham Nolan? Yeah, he was the artist, I think. Right. Yeah, was right. this was this like a? Did you know this was going to be a landmark when you did it? Like, or was it just another script? No, we were just having fun doing those one offs. Yeah, um, you know, because when you were doing all these different crossovers and things like that, every once in a while you had to do a one off issue to pad between two crossover sure. events and sure, and uh, or 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 move your comic book numbering around and. They're always fun. That one and uh, the issue we did where uh, it's all Bruce Wayne. There's no Batman. Yeah. Uh, you know, stuff like that. We, we really dug doing it and really uh, harkened back to like Will Eisner's spirit. You know, how can we tell this really compelling story with a beginning, middle and end? Yeah. And surprises and twists and turns in, inside of 22 pages. Yeah. And uh, like, I think um, that a one shot, I've always said this, I think a satisfying one shot in like a Batman or, or wherever can be some of the most satisfying comic book reading. Um, as, a, as a writer, you enjoy the challenge? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the shorter the form, the harder it is to write. But, yeah. you know, uh, I broke in writing for, uh, writing eight pages of Cull at Marvel. Sure. And then writing for Eclipse, you know, their anthologies, where they would literally say, we've got three extra pages. Can you come up with a three-page story? Yeah. Good uh, training ground, great though. Great training yeah. ground, you know? Yeah. Absolutely, because it made you realize what's important to a story and what's not. Because yeah. uh, when you only got three pages, get, get those characters up and running in two panels or you're through. Well, it's very much like when I was growing up, I was reading the 2000 AD. And I mean, they had a few pages only. Um, and a lot of those were, you know, told in oh, one. They just, 2000 AD would throw so many concepts at you in yeah. such a short amount of time. It's like every page is rich with stuff that would have made an entire comic book in the United States. Oh, yeah. And they would just throw the stuff away. Just throw it away. Throw the, it away. The amount of padding they do now in at, at, like, modern DC and Marvel, it's almost criminal. You know, like, like I read, uh, you know, like, and I know he has his fans and I at times have liked him, but Bendis' Legion, you couldn't have, I mean, it was like 12 issues of just pure padding, Chuck. 
Like just like nothing happened. It was it was almost like playing for time in in like a soccer game or something, you know. Well, I mean, when when we realized that the trades were probably the future mm. for comics, uh, this is in the '90s. Uh, we, the editors began saying, "Think about the trades when you write." Sure. And really, what that meant was thinking six issue increments. Right. So you either have a six issue story, a four issue story, a two issue story. You know, you didn't want to leave yeah. a trade at the, in the middle of an arc. And um, but I looked at it as. Uh, I get a chance to tell like novel length stories with, yes. with everything in it. And I think a lot of other writers thought, Ooh, I can just pad. Yeah. I can just, I can have whole issues where nothing happens because it's just going to be part of the trade. And it's like, no, something has to happen. Every issue. It's still a comic book, man. But you yeah. think of it in a different way. You think of it as this is an episode in a larger story. And, and, but people were, you know, decompressing, decompressing. It's padding. It is, it is, and uh, yeah, it's it's nuts. I, I I think you come from a more old school approach where it's like you, you need, shit needs to be happening. You know what I mean? And if you can thread a bigger story in in side three six issues, good good for you. You know, but like shit needs to happen each issue. Like your Birds of Prey, for example, I fucking love that run. So much happens inside forty odd issues. You know. Well, thing is, if you, if you don't, you've got to vary that stuff. I mean, you know. Um, you know, in movies or a TV show where you're watching something and they're going into way too much detail of what the character's doing, yeah. like they're going to spend 30 minutes showing them brushing their teeth, yeah, yeah, and you start getting this creepy feeling because you know there's a reason they're showing you this. They're yeah. lulling you into a false sense of security, even though your lizard brain knows danger is ahead. Yeah, and then when they're done brushing their teeth, something horrible happens. Yeah, the jump scare well, or something, you know? Yeah, exactly, and that's why. You can't just have that stuff all the time. And I see so many comics where they're 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 going out to eat, they're eating dinner, they're doing it. And it's like this is what soap operas do. Yes. Because let's have everybody eat. That way they can all be stationary in one spot. Their hands are busy, so they're doing something, but they're not yeah. really doing anything. They're uh, pretending to eat. Yeah. And they're all situated so the camera can see them. It's like this is like the most lazy writing I can possibly imagine. It's boring, you know, frankly. Yeah. It's like have them doing anything else yeah no. it's um and yeah i was also looking at um because that, that i love that um i love the twist in that bullet bullet for bullock where it's the, where it's the doorman it's just so funny like and i'd forgotten it you know what i mean because i hadn't read it in 20 years and i was like oh you got me again chuck you got me. <laughs> and i was kind of pairing up so then i read um on my on my iPad, I read Bullock's Law that you did with Flynn Henry. This is a wild one. It's a one shot. I think it's a little oversized. Yeah, um, it's yeah. crazy. With an artist like Flynn, how much direction were you giving him? Because he's just he's just so, so on, you know. Well, I I knew you know when I wrote for Flynn, I knew I could just go nuts. Mm. Uh, and thing is, I, I lived close to Flynn. I saw Flynn a lot socially, and I could go over and hang out with him. I could take in reference material if he needed it. And just hang out, watch and draw on the pages, you know. Awesome. And Flint would do, um, he would do a lot of model sheets and sketches and just a lot of artwork you never got to see uh, before he would do any of this stuff. He, he was, for my money, too conscientious. He, he drove himself nuts with details. Right. You know, his eagerness to please. Um, did you do but, a lot uh, with him? You did Law Dog with him, didn't you? Yeah, I did Law Dog. We did, um, we did, um, Two different uh, Punisher eight pagers that never saw the light of day. Really, I'd love to see um, those. Wow, we did one with Payback. Cool, and I can't remember who the other character was. 
Um, but yeah, we did a lot together here and there. Uh, I was always bringing him on board to do stuff because I loved I loved working with him. Huge talent. Like now with someone like his style, because this is to me the beauty of comic books. Like you've got Bullock and you've got Renee Montoya. We see in Bullock for Bullock um, one version of that, and then you see in this one similar characters, totally different approach and i i love that with comics the visuals can be so different and it's the same characters and it's the same writer like right it's kind of the it's kind of now with someone like flint would he you know in his heyday just due to the sheer i I guess energy could he not have done a monthly or was it like just too much work it it would have killed him to do a monthly because law dog i don't know if you remember on law dog we we started having some backup stories right and then we did an issue where uh, we had a framing device, and then mm-hmm. three different artists did did stories within right. the issue because uh, you know it was crushing him. The deadline yeah. he just right. wasn't a monthly because he was too conscientious. He yeah. didn't. He wasn't taking any shortcuts. Yeah, uh, look, it would drive me crazy. Absolutely drive. Me. And he was spending way, way too much time at the board, uh, right? Even yeah. to be almost schedule. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, but I, I just want to point uh, readers out, like check out that Bullock's Law. It's available on Comicsology as well. Um, it's probably in a trade. I, I have no idea. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that, but it's definitely Comicsology. Check it out for just a really good time at the races. And when this Law Duck comes out, Chuck, you know, when you're re-releasing it, let me know because I want to pub- publicize it to the to the you know. Uh, yeah, listeners. we're going to be recoloring it and uh, Great. doing some work on it because I hated the color. Great. Um, now, uh, I also looked at um, Batman GCPD. I did my research there to get that right. Um, you had Jim Apero on pencils and Bill Sinkevich on inks and a great gritty story. Was that a pitch-yourself moment? Like, that's a dream team, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wanted to do some of the cop stuff, and um, that one was um, was pretty much like an 87th Precinct novel kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's the approach I was going for. Because I did another one, Gordon's Law, that was very much like a James Elroy kind of story. Sweet. The emphasis there. Yeah. Um, and that's available but, in a trade. I believe the trade's called Gordon's Gotham, yeah. and they're all in the trade. Great trade, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a mini by uh, Denny, too. So it's a nice and, and how did that do? Because this was before, just just before Gotham Central. Um, I sort of recall the time. Um, how did these do with readers at the time? They did well. I mean, yeah. you know, um, you know, Things had slid a bit since the early '90s, but bat titles were still reliable sellers. Yeah. So yeah, it did okay. I mean, it did well. In Gordon's Law did well enough that we did GCPD. I love GCPD. Oh. And did you get a chance uh, either to meet Jim Apero or talk to him on the phone or anything? You have any interaction? Um, he he was at a he went to San Diego with us, like at the height of nightfall. Okay, he cool. flew everybody. Out. Yeah. And uh, Graham Nolan and I basically just spent the whole con hanging out with Jim Apparel. How was he? Because I love his art. I love his art. Ah, he's just, he's just a funny guy. Yeah. Uh, he uh, At the time, he was a big fan of Seinfeld. Oh, cool. Uh, so yeah. Talked about that a lot. And then, uh, you know, talking to him about the old days, you know, working at Charlton, working at DC and all the rest of it. But just, just a super guy to hang out with. And, yeah. Uh, real self-effacing. Right. I mean, um, we were at the bar, hotel bar with him one night, and Archie comes up, and Archie has um, Jim's Ink Pot Award. Oh yeah, <laughs> and he says, I, "I was supposed to present this to you, but you didn't come to the ceremony." And Jim says, "I was hanging out with Graham and Chuck. It, it just wasn't important to him." Yeah. So, so Archie made a big because he's Archie, and he had to be funny. 
he made a big show presenting him. I love it. Well, what a well-deserved award. I mean, to me, uh, he was like one of the artists that drew me in, you know, when I was reading the, the Batman stuff, I guess in the 80s, like uh, the Death in the Family and stuff. Well, like, yeah, like, 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 like from the late 60s through the 80s, wow. uh, Jim was there because he had that long run on Brave and Bold. Which, yeah, he yeah. Was, he was the most consistent Batman artist. He was always there every month. He, did, he drew that beautiful Batman when he had the blue, you know? Yeah. I love that. I tell you one of the greatest convention moments was at that convention. We, we had a uh, panel. Uh-huh. And since it was San Diego, the audience was huge. It was standing room only. And it was all the Nightfall people in one panel. And we're answering questions and joking back and forth. And some guy stands up and he says, I don't have a question, but I just want to thank Jim Aparo for all the joy he's given me over the years. Standing ovation. Yeah. Jim's crying. Uh, the rest of us are trying not to cry. Yeah. <laughs> it was just an awesome moment. Just an awesome moment. Well, it's, I'm so glad that someone like him, who I consider like a real gentleman, like a real talent, he gets that he, he deserves the victory lap. You know what I mean? Um, well, I mean, and the other thing is, is that, you know, it went both ways because on Batman 500, which we knew was going to be an enormous seller, and it was. I think yeah. It sold like three million copies. Wow. Um, the DC higher ups, they wanted Jim off the book before 500. And then he said, there's no way I'm letting that happen. Uh, he's yeah. going to be on this issue. He's going to retire off of the royalties from this issue. Yeah. And he he says, and it's not going to sell one copy less because Jim Aparo's on. Totally not. Yeah, no, he was incredible. Like, God. um, They had decided decided he was over, even though he wasn't. No, yeah. It's it's sort of sad. Uh, I think a lot of the stories, um, uh, like, I know he's a Superman guy, but the story, Kurt Swan, who I love, you know, when I think of Superman, I think of Kurt Swan. And they retired him after um, whatever happens to the Man of Tomorrow, whatever it's called, and right. the ADC. Like, why? Who who sits there and goes, you know what? We've got like five Superman books. We can't put him on one. You know? Yeah, or we can't give him an annual. I mean, when, when Jim yeah. retired, he officially retired. Yeah. Um, they, they kept saying to me, well, "Write it. Write an inventory issue for Jim. He, he he's literally sitting home with nothing to do." Yeah, you know, and he'd love to do some more. So, so I wrote a lot of stuff for Jim Good. after he retired, and he got paid for this. Adults were like, "Yeah, let's give him keep him busy." And he got paid for all this, like, oh yeah. Well, thank God. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. this yeah. is yeah, th- yeah. It's good to hear, Chuck. Like, frankly, because but, but like when Denny left, mm. it was like Jim Apparel was dead. Yeah. Well, I think with when Denny left, maybe a little bit of humanity might have left with him too. You know, oh, I think all the humanity left. Yeah, it suddenly it was like it's a business. We can't like do right. that. Like, it's like yeah, you know what? I don't think you're hurting for money. I reckon we could actually probably swing a you know something for Jim Apera. Um Well, we certainly weren't hurting for money when Denny was running the bat offices. No. We were hurting for money after he left. So yeah. it wasn't always. He, he, I mean, he wanted to make us to make money. Yeah, but he said, "Well, we we don't have to be the devil to do that." Exactly. Well, that's right. It's yeah, hundred percent. Now I. We did on the show last week. We always do on Signal of Doom. We do a like a trade of the week, and last week was my choice. And I said I want to do Chuck's Batman and the Outsiders. That I know you did. I know there were shenanigans around the title, but I read it again just before this show. It's a very solid read. Now I know you were subbed in. Um, it was around two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Like, was it yeah. all your own plot? Were you working off notes from the previous guy? Did you get to pick the team? Because it's such a licorice, all sorts of a group. Give us the t- two cents on this, Chuck. I, I didn't get to pick the team because they had bought three covers. Right. And so I had to write stories that those 
covers would be representative of. Mm-hmm. So, but that was cool with me. You know, that's yeah. fine. And um, you know, but beyond that, I was left on my own. I, I think it was a really – were you having a lot of fun? Like, I know that, like, there were politics and, and they got rid of you, which sucks, but I, I feel like there's an alternate reality where you do 50 to 70 issues on that one. You seem to have yeah, – yeah. <laughs> I wrote a lot more issues than they published. They paid okay. me for a lot of comics that they did not publish. Really? Okay. Because uh, I, I got into a groove and just was writing Batman Insiders, you know, yeah. for weeks. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, I was – I stay out of the office politics. I ignore them. Sure. Uh, I think that's why I'm still around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, uh, when the ax fell, it was a huge surprise to me. I still don't know what they were unhappy about. Uh, I don't, I don't know if the sales, I don't think the sales improved after I left. Yeah. Uh, I, and, I and read. The thing, the thing that hurts is I was going somewhere with the story. And I never the story's great. Like, and also your artist, he's a different style of artist. Uh, it's a uh, Lopez. Oh, yeah. I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed his artwork on it. I thought it was a different look. No, he's very good. Yeah. Very good stuff. And there was a funny part where I was reading it and Gunhawk and Gun Bunny showed up and I went, this is Chuck. This is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah. someone else didn't write these guys in. Like, this was... And you had the um the ghosts of, I forget their names, the Ellen Gutter Man and his wife and they yeah. sort of possessed right. them. And I was like, right. where's this going? I was confused right. and then I realised who they were. That's cool. Now, I read and... and we can edit this out if you want. Now, this is a rumor that got reported to me through all my back channels, Chuck. I read that there was something to do with um, Final Crisis and Grant Morrison, and I, I couldn't even understand the rumor, and there was some clash. Uh, is that true? I have no idea. If it was a clash, I wasn't there for it. Yeah. So they much simply called me on a Wednesday morning and said, stop writing, you're off, you're off both of your books. Because oh, I, was, I was back to writing Robin at the time, too. Yeah. He said, you know, we, we don't want anything from you anymore. And I was like, whoa, yeah. Why? Well, I can't tell you. Right. And I'm so like, it's just okay, so it wasn't your decision. No. You know? Yeah. And then uh, the uh, the assistant editor, his assistant, the, the edit, assistant to the editor I was working with called me later in the day, and, and she was in tears. Yeah. She was in tears. She said, I wish I could tell you what happened, but I can't. And she says, it's like the worst thing I've ever seen happen. It's just, bull- like, it's just bullshit then. Okay, so it's just pure yeah. shit. It's just shit. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah. One thing I will say, though, is um, you used one of the greats, Metamorpho. What a great character. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's so nutty that it could only yeah. have come up from a, like a 60s or whatever it was. Like, he's so nutty. But I love him, you know? Yeah. He's, um, I, I, the, the concept I really loved in it was that I came up with the OMAC clone remake. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was they were all excited about when I created it. It was and, cool. But you know, it never went anywhere. Oh well. Um, now, Rich, uh, my co-host, had a question. Now, Rich, by the way, is one of these guys who just can't resist taking a dig at Batman. So, just you know, he says you've worked um, with Batman and Nightwing. Obviously, Nightwing being my favourite. That's Richard. And I enjoyed your run on Batman and the Outsiders, but I was really enjoying it when Nightwing is running around with a new group of Outsiders. Would you have liked to work with Nightwing as the leader, or were you happy that it was Batman? I mean, you wrote it. I, 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 I would have been fine with either. I mean, yeah. you know. I it's think an ensemble team. And so. correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you wrote at least 70 issues of Nightwing. Fantastic run. Yeah, yeah. So I it's was like, on for a while. It's kind of like, Rich, go check out his Nightwing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you want Nightwing? Go read Nightwing. There's plenty of it. Like, um, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I did a lot of Nightwing. Annuals and, and, and specials. Dude, I read, before one of our interviews um, a couple of years ago, like at night, I was reading... Because I've got your whole run on my on, on my iPad through Comicsology. I read your whole run. Fantastic. 
you know, and I was reading like two issues a night, like, and it got to the end, and this was this is a tribute to you. Got to the end of a long run, and you had obviously kind of like an inventory, like end one shot kind of thing, and I was just like, I want more. This is not fair. <laughs> I've just read seventy in a row, and I was like, I, I want more. <laughs> I was like, this isn't fair. <laughs> now, I was at the tail end of the long runs. Yeah. Now I I have a question. Um, this is my own question. Batman, the urban legend. Now, I read that there was some edict from DC editorial. Now, I don't know if it was Denny or if it was maybe after Denny that that apparently the, the so-called media in the DC universe didn't know for sure that Batman was real. Now, was this right. active during your run? Yeah, yeah. It was. It's weird. It, it wasn't an edict. Um, you know, when you brought Denny and Alan and Doug and I together... Yeah. It's, it's really weird how much that there was just simply an understanding of how this work should be presented. Sure. Like we, like we totally share, I think this is what made uh, our work together so successful because we, we're totally different personalities. Oh yeah. You know, uh, we, we probably couldn't take a long car ride together. Uh, and, <laughs> but, but our understanding of Batman was the same. Yeah. And, and so I think it just sort of was organic. Uh, we began treating it like because it's the only thing that made sense. Yeah. Um, if there was a Batman, uh, especially in today's atmosphere, if Batman suddenly showed up in New York City and was beating up criminals and everything else, the media would do everything they could to make sure you never heard about it. Right. You know. Yeah. It wouldn't be like you know Batman strikes again headlines. No, yeah. it, it would. They wouldn't want you to know. Uh, they would. They would hide it. And and I just love the idea that he was like this legend amongst the. Underworld, I mean, mm. and 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 dealt a lot with that in stories where you know only some people believed he was real. That's cool. It's a cool idea. So yeah, um, yeah, I like it. Now I have another question for you. Uh, Batman Off World. They're about to do a new Batman. I think Jason Aaron's doing it, um, where he goes into space early in his career. What do, what what do you think of Batman in space? Well, or, is Jason Aaron's going to write a story where it turns out the Waynes are still alive and they're ashamed of Bruce. <laughs> yeah, they didn't die and they, it was all a lie Bruce, you already told that story I don't know um, yeah I don't like Batman in outer space it doesn't it doesn't fit for me I mean when I was a kid I the Batman comics are out when I was a kid were the when they were trying out the science fiction stuff sure in the early 60s and he was always meeting aliens or mummies or something I, I hated that stuff yeah. and I didn't really I, I liked Batman, but I didn't like the comics. And then I found the 80-page Giants that reprinted the classic stuff and fell in love with the character. Yeah, for uh, what yeah, I thought I, of... It doesn't fit. I, I thought that those Batman uh, space stuff from way back was thought of poorly now, you know? Like, yeah, like yeah. you're saying. Like, I always thought they're like, oh, Batman, time traveling with pink aliens. Like, we hate it all. Like, why would they bring it back, you know? Yeah, yeah. And those stories, quite frankly, are crap. Yeah. I've reread a bunch of them recently. Yeah, they weren't good stories. They were awful. They were pandering to children. They thought this is what kids want. Yeah, and they had no idea what kids want. Kids wanted the Fantastic Four and Spider Man, as it turned out. Exactly. Yeah. So. Now, um, speaking of Batman, I see that they finally reached the Silver Age omnibuses for both Batman and Superman. Um, I've purchased the Batman Silver Age omnibus, and you're giving me trepidation now with these comments. But um, the Superman Silver oh, the Age. Superman. You mean the, the Superman or the Batman? Both. Uh, no, no, with the so both are out now. So Batman came out, 
and Superman's right. about to come out. I'm getting yeah. I, well. I've already got Batman, and I'm getting Superman. I'm excited yeah. for the Superman. Um, oh, I'm really excited for the Superman. I yeah. can't wait to read the Superman. So great. Probably a lot of them I already read because I went back through some of the showcases and read them. And I was astonished at how many of those stories I remember. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm dying to get. To it's that a great story. era for Superman. Like I'm really excited. Oh, yeah. Like, and, and I love. I mean, I love cracking open an Omni like on a Sunday afternoon, cup of tea. Maybe a gin and tonic, something, something, something refreshing for me, Chuck. You know what I mean? And a, <laughs> and, and, and kick back, and I, I just love them. I'm a sucker for them. And like, God, like I don't even know what's going on with current Superman, but like, give me those golden, you know, silver age stuff. It's just beautiful, yeah. you know. Seriously. Now, here's a funny question. This is this is this is my question, Chuck. Um, we, we're all familiar with PC culture. Now, I think you were kind of ahead of the curve in spotting. PC culture was on the way. I was one of these stupid people who didn't realise till it was all over me. Did you have a moment, uh, and I've got a couple of examples, but I want you to speak first. Did you have a moment where you're like, they have gone too far? PC culture has gone too far. Did you did, did you remember when you first spotted it? Was it years ago? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it all fell apart for me when they did the, the, the gay rawhide kid. And that's when I, that's yeah. when my blacklist became official right. because yeah. I was outspoken about it. Right. Okay. Then, right. Right. I don't even remember it. And, like, and, yeah. and, and I realized that, you know, I have objections to this and they're sure. legitimate objections, Sure. but no one's going to listen to my, all they're going to hear is I hate gay people, which I was right. like, I, not what I said. No. I said, well, if you wanted a gay character, why don't you create a gay character? I said, hell, you create a gay character and I'll write it. Yeah, said, well, well, and you, ha you have as well. Like you've written gay characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why take an established character that virtually no one could remember and, and yeah. make him gay? Yeah. And I said, and on top of that, and this is the one they really would not listen to. I said, why would you have it written by a guy, first of all, who's not gay, sure, and who is obviously making fun of gays in this story? Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, this is not promoting anything. This guy is having a laugh at you and you don't seem to realize it. All you care about is that he's using this material that you approve of. You know, he's yeah. characterizing the character in a way that you think is cutting edge and, and brave. Yeah. And and that's, and so the end result was, okay, you're a homophobe to the point where um, that's nuts. Things were winding down across Jen and we were released from our exclusive contracts. Sure. And so it was known, okay, Chuck's in the wild again. He can work for other companies. Yeah. And I got a call from DC and they said, we have this job we want you to do, but first you've got to call and apologize to this editor. Right. And I said, about what? They said, well, the things you said about Rawhead Kid, sure. stuff like that. Jesus. I said, I'm not, a, I'm, he didn't edit that. He had nothing to do with that. Yeah. You know, but he's gay. And I'm like, well, I know he's gay, but I didn't, I yeah. didn't say anything to apologize. Yeah. So I called him and I said, you you know me. You know I'm not going to apologize for what I said. Yeah, yeah. I said, now can I come to work? And he goes, yes. I said, look, I'm a, I'm acknowledging your objections and I'm rejecting them. Yeah. I said, you do you refuse to understand what I was saying? Sure. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that story. That's weird. Like it's just that's crazy. And Rawhide Kid. I'm I'm sorry. No one cares about Rawhide Kid at the best of times. Um, we're not in 1951 or whatever it was. Like right. Uh, I do remember when they brought him back to get, I think the reason they do that is so that they can have that two seconds where people are saying, 
Aurora had kids back and he's gay. You know, woo, woohoo. Well, I mean, it was written by a guy who was a writer for Howard Stern. And so they knew it was going right. to be promoted on Howard Stern's radio. Gotcha, gotcha. And that was the big draw. And the thing is, you're having a Howard Stern writer write your gay cowboy story. Yeah, how, you know it's going to be. think that's going to turn out? Pretty satirical, I would have thought. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, that's interesting. Know. Now, I, my example, maybe not as um, good... Uh, was a, f- a couple of years ago because I'm blissfully unaware to most things, and you know I, I just kind of go in my own bubble. And I'm like, if there's a controversy, I, I'm always delighted because it's news for the show. But they didn't allow evil races in Dungeons and Dragons anymore. They were like, you're wrong. The goblins aren't evil, and you're just a racist if you ever thought so. And I was like, well, goblins aren't evil anymore. Like orcs, we're all everyone's happy now. I see. Okay, and. They put that in the official rules, and it was like also a lot of finger wagging at all the players, Chuck, who'd played their games for all these years. And it was like, you know, and I was just like, this has just gone too far now because I remember back in the 80s, I was like being in game groups, and sometimes you would meet like an orc tribal leader or whatever, and it wouldn't always be a fight fight. Like they weren't always all evil, but now it was like, you were just wrong. For, for playing our game and, like, you know, like in Lord of the Rings, how the orcs are the bad guys, they, when they just decided to wipe that away, that was where I was like, um, it's enough, you know? It yeah. was That was me. And the other one, and this is the famous one with my dad, they put Superman and Batman in therapy. Um, and he just wouldn't have a bar of it. And I was like, it was the dumbest idea that I think you could possibly have. You know? Well, you know, it's because the creators were writing what they knew, and they were in therapy. So, so it's just like I mean, therapy at DC was like a thing. Really? You know, it was like Sunday brunch. It was like Ugh. they were astonished when you weren't in therapy. I, I'll tell you, there was a DC staffer, mm. and she was telling me about her therapy because for some reason, people in therapy want to tell you. About they want therapy. to tell you all about it, Chuck. Yeah. And, and regardless of the fact that I apparently, I obviously, had no interest. I mean, I don't want to know this stuff. Um. <laughs> I mean, I real I rather hear about your cats than your therapy. Yeah. And and she said that the interesting thing is my husband and I go to the same therapist and our therapist is a Holocaust survivor. Right. And I was like, You tell your problems to yeah. a Holocaust survivor? That's nuts. Like I every, said, yeah. I said, My first meeting would be, Oh, I'm here for therapy. Oh, hi, I'm Dr. So and so, I'm a Holocaust survivor. And I would go, Okay, that's fine. I'm leaving. Uh, here, I'll write you a check. I'm cured. I have no yeah. problems. Can, can you, I'm, I'm imagining them staring at you know at the the tattoo, and they're waffling on about their fucking very minor problems. And I, yeah. I, I'd just be thinking, yeah. what am I doing? Yeah, so, so today at Starbucks, yeah, uh, like, no, I really cared? rude to me. They didn't use my pronoun. <laughs> that's nuts. Um, now I have a question, um, and it's you were mentioning Alan, Alan Grant, and Doug. With Alan Grant, I mean, who I still haven't gotten over that we've lost Alan Grant. I wanted to get him on the show so much, and I think he was sort of retired. You know what I mean? Um, did you, with Alan, ever get, you know, over dinner, late night over coffee, did you get, like, deep ever into, like, into, like, Dread or Lobo? Did you kind of get into his mind a little bit? Did you guys have some one-on-ones? Well, he was a hard guy to pin down on anything. Right. If, 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 you, if an issue came up at the lunch table or the dinner table, Yeah, you never knew where Alan was going to fall on it. I always knew where Doug was going to fall sure. and, and where, like, Danny was going to fall. Nobody knew where Alan was going to fall on any given issue, which I respected because I'm like, okay, this guy's a 
total free thinker, total independent. He's owing nothing to nobody. Yeah. You know, he's just going to march to his own tune. And I thought that was so cool. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I mean, one time we were, he asked me what I thought of the Stallone Dread movie. Yeah. And I said, I liked it. And he was so overcome, he shoved me. Oh, he didn't like it. Yeah, he hated it. Yeah. He apologized for shoving me. He goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just had this visceral reaction. He goes, but you're such a huge Dread fan. And I said, yeah, but it had, it had all of the great characters in it. You got to see them in a movie, you know, it just, and I thought, I thought, you know, Mega City One looks so awesome. Yeah. You know, and and everything else. And and then he said, well, he says, really, I said, I hated the movie, but my only regret is, he says, the sequel was going to have Judge Death. And he says, I would have seen some money from that. Yeah. He didn't see cash from it at all. No. No, there was really nothing in there that, I don't believe that he had created. Right. Okay. Yeah. Oh my god. And like, as a guy, um, you're a free thinker. Like, I mean, just a real ideas guy, like you, like a real yeah. ideas factory sort of guy. Was he all about the work? Like, was he that kind of? Yeah. Guy? Yeah. He loved writing. I mean, yeah. he was at, at the um, when we would have a summit. He would be the quietest guy. He didn't. Right. You know, he, he wouldn't jump in and offer stuff. You know, right. he was pleased with what we were doing because. Basically, he had Shadow of the Bat, and he knew he was going off in his own direction. We weren't yes. going to interfere with anything he was doing. Great Shadow of the Bat, too. Really, oh, yeah. really great. And, and all that Lobo yeah. as well, I mean, which is very satirical, you know. Oh, yeah, Lobo is like – Lobo is a, a is a poor fit at DC the way the Punisher is a poor fit at Marvel. I know, but you know what? Who cares because he just did such oh, I mean, a fucking cares? great yeah. job. He's a, great, like, he's a wrecking ball disruptor. He's awesome. It's, yeah. And One, it, you know, it's, it's Alan's anarchy. Yeah. Know, yeah, and, and uh, I, I I would have loved to have got him on one of these calls because I think I, I just I got a sense from him that he was a million ideas a minute guy, you know. Yeah. And I th- would you, you had say to be, you had to be to work at two thousand AD. That's yeah, about what just, I was going to say, you know. Yeah. Um. Did you ever read? Um. Ever read much Strontium Dog? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah now. I read all that. Awesome. Now the the story that I always remember. I was a I was a teenager. I mean, you know, we were all angsty teenagers at one point. I'm an angsty teenager. I read Rage, the one just after Wolf Sternhammer, the partner dies. I, I I still say one of the greatest stories I've ever read. You know where he goes after the killers, and um, he's got um, you know Carlos Esquizara on art, who's amazing. Right. I, yeah. I I mean I still would say that is in terms of comics, it's in my top ten storylines of all time. You know, and it's no, so cool. different from the wacky kind of shit. You know, like yeah. It's just uh, I don't know. He, he had a lot of levels, man. Like and um, anyway. So we love Alan. We miss him. Um, and I, I did you get a sense that a guy like him knew just how much the audience loved him? Like, you know, did he? Do you, what do you think about that? Or was he just not into I, that? Yeah, I don't think you know. I know I'm not that way. I know Doug wasn't that way. Yeah. Isn't that way. You, you really don't think about that. No, I guess know. you can't. Like, but you really don't think about. That. I mean, there are guys that. If you're thinking about that, you're in the business for the wrong reason. True. You know, true. Uh, Denny once said, "If you're not happy in a room by yourself making stuff up, you don't don't work in comics." Yeah, yeah. Because most of your life is going to be spent. He says, "If what you want to do is like you know sit behind a convention uh, sure. desk at a table and be admired, you're in the wrong business." I agree. I totally agree. I I, I just I, there's just a little bit of me that I know I know that. Guys like him, they never get the money that they should. So it's like, no. which pisses me off, frankly. You know, um, that, that that does annoy me. So I, I just hope there's something there. But anyway, we'll see. 
I hope maybe his estate gets something if if fucking if if Rebellion never got off their ass and get this TV show going. Like seriously, what, oh are, they, what are they waiting for? I'm dying for this. Thing. I'm prepared to write an episode if if that's what it's going to take. You know, like yeah. like how hard yeah. is it? Like it's Judge Dredd for Christ's sake. This is one of the greatest characters of all time and worlds. I mean, you know, there's only. Oh, I don't know. I, I was going to say there's only so many times I can watch that recent movie, but <laughs> apparently there's not. I just watch it over and over and over like, and over. But, like, just like we were talking about with Conan, like, you could do a Judge Dredd animated show, which I think would mm. be amazing. I mean, how many... I don't even know how many years of Dredd there is, but there's a lot of stories. You there's know? a lot of Dredd. There's, a, there's yeah. a lot, and a lot of it's really good. I sent you a picture recently on Facebook. of was, was of a lawmaster, like, which is the motorbike kids, if you haven't read it. It was from a different angle. And I was like, man, I'm picking up stories just looking at a new Lawmaster model. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. Um, no, there, there's, a, there's, there's a mountain of material. He's a great here. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic too. Now, switching gears, um, what's it like as a creator um, when you hop onto a title midstream, such as you did with Green Arrow or Sigil, um, which was, I think, cross-gen, you jump on, yeah. the, 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 like Green Arrow had run for years, Mike Rell had its own direction, had its highs, had its lows, whatever. You come on, challenging for you as a as a writer or an opportunity, you know. Um, it, it's an opportunity. I mean, um, for me, if you're coming on a title, it's already established by another creative team, and yeah. you're you know basically picking up their story, which in each case I had to do. Yeah, I had to complete their stories. Uh, you want to be cognizant of well, what is it that they did that the readers liked, and I got to keep all, all as much of that as I can. Mm. In other words, this isn't my book yet, you know, uh, and I may never make it my book. I may just continue what the readers expect me from. And, uh, and, and that was the case in, in Sigil. And I, I think I made Sigil a little more hard-edged space opera, sure. a little more uh, ground-based, uh, in, in case some cases a little meaner yeah. than what Mark Wade had done. Uh, yeah. And then Green Arrow, I didn't want to do what Grell had done because that was – what Grell had done. I didn't want to do half-assed Grell. So, because that's like, you know, it's making a joke out of what he did. And, and he, he made this character successful. Yeah. Yeah. uh, You know, in a solo book for the first time ever. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep the level of cynicism that he had. Yeah. But I'm not going to do the kind of grim, dark stories that he did because that's his neighborhood. Yeah. And he needs to keep that, himself so my stuff was more high adventure i, I love your grand Arrow. you brought in um what's his name connor um yeah yeah you well, like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I inherited connor uh, yeah. connor was a creation of um kelly puckett and, and scott peterson right and yeah. great character like oh yeah like the thing with, with the thing with it is i i i've not read all the grills from but i've read a lot love it and then yours, and yeah, you switch it out because shortly, uh, what's his name, Oliver dies, and and kind of becomes the main Green Arrow. Right. You had a great artist. Can I say that? Great the artist. DiMaggio. Oh my god! Like oh. you, the two you paired together. This is the thing. I didn't even. I couldn't have cared less about Connor before I read that. You know what I mean? I, I'm like Connor. Like I'm like Green Arrow has a son, and it's Connor. I'm like oh, okay. You read it, and um, you also used Eddie Fryers very well. Um, I remember. Yeah. You know, yeah. who I got confused. Uh, I was like, is Jim Gordon in this book? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, 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 everybody was drawing Jim Gordon to look like Archie Goodwin and Eddie Fires to look like Archie Goodwin. They were both it's coming great. off the same model. 
Now, have DC done that in an Omni? I've, I, I'm no. not. No, they haven't. They should actually. That's no. Dimaggio's artwork is so freaking amazing. It's beautiful. Like, I do think that they've done. You know what I'm confusing with? They've done all of Grell's runner in two huge Omnis. I have them. So right. yours would be the next, and it would be interesting would be to next, see. Yeah. It would be interesting to see if they'll do that, because um, that would include the death of Green Arrow as well, which I imagine might be attractive to them. You know. Yeah, it's never been reprinted, you know, mm. so why not? Do but, you, yeah, I, like, I don't. I hope I'm not asking questions out of school, but, you know, these days it feels like things have softened a bit for you. Like, do you have any interaction with them where they talk to you about that kind of stuff at all or not? No, I don't really have any interaction, but I, I think what happened was is that uh, all the people who hated me are gone. Good. And, and the people there now, uh, they don't. They don't know, they either don't know or don't remember anything about any of that stuff, so yeah, they're good. not acting well, that's great. So, like, it just feels like you're getting more more of your stuff in general is getting reprinted, yeah. and um, it's a great thing, Chuck. Because, like, let's face it, it's so silly. Like to me, uh, it's it, I've always felt a lot of disputes between adults uh, professionally are quite childish. You know, yeah. Like, like I understand people may have serious grievances over serious things, but a lot of this stuff, it's like, really, are we ruining people's careers over this kind of shit? Like. Well, the thing is, whether you work at a comic book company or, or work at a burger joint, yeah, uh, always seems to be somebody there with a personality disorder, yeah, who wants to keep things stirred up, who wants to keep trouble making trouble, sure. And it's just it's just the nature, human nature, I guess. And the thing is, to recognize those people and stay away from them. Yeah, I'm probably one. Of that's those why people. I never got involved in any. You know, did you hear what so and so said about yeah. something? Yeah, tattle tales. I still get it. I still get it. You know, oh, this one comic skate guy hates this other comic skate guy. So I yeah. could care less. I like both of them. I'm not going to stop. Yeah. I'm not going to join one team or the other. Yeah. Uh, uh, what does it matter? Um, no, it doesn't. In the end, it doesn't matter at all. It, look, you know what? You know what the legacy in the end will be, sadly, when we're all dead and gone? It's the work. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. honestly, like, someone will pick up, I don't mean to be morbid, but in 20 years, someone will pick up a Green Arrow omnibus with your stuff and go, this is fucking cool. You know? Yeah. Like, and, and yeah. what, what else matters? Like, you know? Um, now, well, it's the same thing we're doing with the Silver Age Superman. That's exactly you know? right. I, I don't know who any of those people are. We, we don't know anything about them. I had, no. you know who I had on the show a couple of times now? I've had Elliot S. Maggot on, the Superman writer. Very interesting guy. Great storyteller. Yeah. Lovely guy, yeah. actually, too. And I and I said to him, any chance of getting Kerry Bates? And apparently Kerry Bates is deep underground in a bunker somewhere and doesn't do interviews, Chuck. I don't, wow. know if, I don't know if you've got wow. any contacts there to help me out. No, <laughs> yeah. no. His brother-in-arms couldn't help me out. <laughs> that, is a, that is a dead trail. It's a dead trail, man, yeah. But you know you know what? He has his reasons, I'm sure. Um, now, Rich had a couple... We're getting towards the end. Thank you so much for your time, Chuck. Rich had a couple no, no, of questions. No, no. He says, Chuck, if you went back to DC right now, what character would you want to take control of? Uh, and I think he means... Uh, like, is it the one you think needs the most help or just a character you'd like to work on? If you had a free pass and they said, come back, who would you pick? I, I'd like to do some Superman. I really didn't get yeah. the right that much of Superman. I'd really like the, the challenge of uh, of basically, you know, bringing out all the stuff that I really like about Superman. I think, I think like, like like all these characters, they so many times they miss the nuances of what makes them cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that'd be great. I'm actually going to title this um, Chuck Dixon Wants Superman. <laughs> you know, would you bring in because you know what I always loved I love the Forge of Solitude with the key you know the key you know he had the key only he could lift the key I'm like 
the second they went away from that, I feel that was where they were like, we've got to get real serious now about the fortress. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, I mean, logistically, all of that made sense because the the um, those guys, you know, in the 50s and 60s, yeah. they were they were thinking up all the imponderables about Superman. I mean, you know they were getting letters from kids. How does he cut his hair? And then they were like, oh, we got to do a story about that. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, it's, you know, within the science of the DC universe, these yes. things were all well thought out and made yes. sense. And I'm sorry, him being the only one to be able to lift the key to open the door to his secret treehouse. That is so cool. I think it's really cool. cool yeah. Yeah. Like I, I will say this. I, I think a lot of times they've had gotten Superman, like you're just saying in the nineties, I think they had the Superman office cooking really well. Oh know? Yeah. You know, yeah. really well. I want to say Mike Carlin was the editor for most of that. Maybe yes. I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, did you ever have much to do with him or you guys sort of separate silos? I, I never worked for Mike Carlin. Uh, I knew him. Mm. You know, uh, I like I like Mike Carlin. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we ne- we didn't have a whole lot of interaction. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I, but I knew I knew Dan Jargons and Jerry Wardway and sure. guys. I knew a lot of the guys. Did you pitch stuff back then that was just that was just like your bat centric, really, or? You were just too. Yeah, busy. I was bad. I was a bad guy, and yeah, I, I rarely got out of the bad offices unless there was some emergency. Yeah, like uh, oh, this flash annual, the writer quit. <laughs> so yeah, it's so funny. I remember seriously in the in the nineties, like it, when I'd pick up. Um, this is before I knew who anyone was. I'd pick up the Batman stuff, and so often it was Chuck Dixon, and that's how I knew your name. I was just like. I, I was like, yeah, it's going to be good. Like, it's going to be good quality. And I had, you know, I'm in Australia. I'm in Tasmania, dude. I couldn't be further away from the action if I tried. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost funny. Now, Rich also says, are you still collecting toy soldiers? And if so, how big is your collection? You collect, like, Roman figurines and stuff, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Roman, uh, yeah, I'm painting Romans right now. That's cool. Uh, I, I went on a spate of... Uh, Medieval knights, uh, Agincourt period. I, I painted cool. you know, hundreds of them. Wow. I don't paint soldiers. I paint armies. I paint like these huge armies. So do you have like a, oh. a diorama or whatever you call it where they're all? No, I don't do any of that. I just paint them. Oh, you paint them and put them up? Set up, set them, look at them for a while, put That's them back cool. in the box. I was going to say if it was Agincourt, there'd be a lot killed over dead, wouldn't they, with the arrows? Yeah, I got some dead guys. I got some dead guys pin cushioned with arrows. Love it. Uh, I, I, I buy a lot of the stuff from a company in Singapore called uh, – um, expeditionary force cool they're producing some amazing stuff that's cool is that an expensive hobby or is that you know yeah it can get expensive yeah yeah like they're not cheap because they're all limited run it's all for adults no kids are buying this. do you collect i'm a sucker for um uh marvel legends and uh jojo classified do you get into that at all the, yeah, the figure yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'll buy that stuff. I, I love that stuff. And by the way, my girlfriend doesn't love it. <laughs> I get some I'll feedback. Buy, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had to be careful because my wife would go see, look at the shelf and go, that's new. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's, that's what I get too, Chuck. That's You, you play the shell games, you move stuff around like, oh, no, I've had that for a while. <laughs> well, you know, as I get older, my wife has realized um, What's how much point? trouble women she knows have with husbands. Who don't have a hobby? Yeah, yeah, and are just hanging around the house all day, being annoying. She's finally come around to the fact that it's a good thing you have a hobby. <laughs> That's good. Uh, now, Rich's final question: Have you gotten any offers to turn your Winter World into a show or movie? Well, it, it looked real good a few years ago, mm. 
Uh, when Ted Adams was still at IDW, we were in talks with um, Microsoft. Microsoft was going to create new material. Wow. Uh, and that, that all fell through. And then they assured me that they, they had other deals in play, but nothing ever happened. I never saw screenplays or anything. So have you got the options back to Winterworld if you wanted? Oh, yeah, I own it. I, well, I own it and, and Jorge Zafino's estate. Right, there. yeah. With I, me and, and, and his son, uh, Gerardo. It's a really good series, um, and it's a really nice hardcover, which I own, that got put out a few years ago, probably during that time you're talking about. Um, and you did a bit more sort of newer stuff, didn't yeah. you, in that? It was really yeah, good, man. Yeah, Butch and, and uh, uh, Tommy Castillo. Yeah. So. I've got to... It's, it, it's unfortunately, it, it looks old hat now because so many Reckon. things have been like it since it came out. Sort of post-apocalyptic and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah everybody's doing that. And then so many of the elements of it were you know, liberally lifted for Waterworld. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, okay. That's, yeah, right. If you see Waterworld, it's like, yeah, this is Winterworld on the water. I've seen, I sure have seen Waterworld fucking yeah. many times. <laughs> even even to the the uh, Dennis Hopper character looks like the lead bad guy. Yeah, yeah. God, I forgot that. Yeah, wow, that's yeah. interesting. I, I tell you what, though, with some of the stuff they pump out, um, the comic book adaptions, like they did Why the Last Man, badly. They did DMZ, badly. But they did them, and yeah. that your Winterworld holds up right next to that stuff, you know? Um, yeah, but, you know, it's, you know, they had companies behind them, they had PR, they had this, yeah. they had that, they had the connections. And, you know, and, and when, you're, when your comic company's owned by a multimedia, you know, company. Yeah, true. You know, they're going to, they, they can get the stuff cheap. I mean, yeah. If Paramount wanted the option Spider-Man, they'd have to pay a fortune. Yeah. But it's it's Disney and they own it. Well, it's Columbia and they already have a deal that they made back in the eighties. And so what we're saying though is if if we've got some production coming out there who thinks uh, Winterworld, they could come to you and they could you could cut a deal. Like it's it's possible. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you know, it would just be dealing with me and Gerardo and yeah. You know, yeah do it. I don't have it. I don't. I don't. I, I I probably would use it. I have an agent who I can use. Yeah. Because they won't deal with anybody but an agent. Yeah. Unless I'm dealing with Stallone, he'll deal directly with. Me. Cool. Well, that, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. No, no. I, I just want to say I give I, I give it a real tick, and I love that black and white feel of it. And I think I recall I recently purchased um, the Batman black and whites, and you have a short story in there with I think that artist. Am I right? With, with Stefano, yeah. Yeah. That was a, beautiful. That was one where they they were almost done with Batman black and white, and um, the editor realized that no one had written a mystery story. Yeah. He called me and said, would you write a mystery story and do you think Jorge would draw it? So Why not? And it was, only it's only like an eight-pager, ten-pager, isn't it? Like It's an eight-pager, yeah. Yeah, oh, man, it's, it's great It's great fun. Now, um, wrapping up, um, how's Levon Kate going? Um, Good. I'm, I'm about three-quarters through the 12th novel. Jesus, it's uh, awesome. I got man. interrupted by Ripperverse stuff, but I'll be back to it in a couple of weeks. And still pumping along? Sales are good? Sales are brisk? Yeah, yeah, it's still a steady seller. That's good, man. Like, yeah. and my God, um, we're talking about Winter World. I know, I know Stallone had interest in Levon Cade. I, I strongly think that is that is a TV show waiting to happen, man. Well, I, I re-signed an option with him. Excellent. So Excellent. We're still interested, and you know, we did it just before the writers' strike, so nothing okay. could happen. And uh, but that, you know, I'm I'm certain it'll be back on uh, the slate. That's great. They had they had everything set up. They had the financing, they had the distribution deal, and everything set up. So well, that's great. That's really good. Yeah. Um, well, keep us in the loop on that, Chuck, because you know I love my Levon Kate. 
Now, my other question, as you're always, responsible for all of my Levon Cade sales in Australia, so of course I'm. Thank you, Chuck. Well, I try my hardest. Um, now, I also, Chuck. I know you don't have much time, but maybe a bit, a little bit more bad times might be good because I am, a, I'm addicted. I, I, I love to get back to it. I think of stories, but you know, I just, I just haven't had time. Maybe, maybe toward the end of next year, I can get back. Yeah, it's a great series. Like, honestly, we've talked about so many properties that Chuck's been involved with, but, like, what people should remember is you've got so much stuff coming out now. It's comics, all this comic stuff, but also check out Chuck's novels that are all available on Amazon and stuff because they're incredible. Like, um, I still think sometimes of that, um, there's a scene in, you remember you did that movie, uh, not movie, uh, book Shrinkage. And yeah, yeah, it's like a ser- like it's a it's it's not superheroes or anything, but it's really good. You had a scene in it where someone remembers they're watching, they're depressed, and they're watching Bonanza, and it's after Dan Blocker died. And I, I'm always <laughs> like, man, that is depressing, Chuck. You've depressed me just reading it, and it still sticks in my head. <laughs> Who wants That's to watch funny. Bonanza after he's died? You know, like, yeah, it is funny. Now, um, last thought, Chuck, before we go, um, it's the late seventies. You're on the couch in the hallway, sitting next to the late great Robert Kanika. Um, we we remember it well. Now, were you a sponge for his stories? Like, you know, oh, yeah. what was happening on that couch, man? Were you just hanging on his every word? Pumping yeah, he's just telling, he 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 just liked to basically hold you hostage there. Yeah, you know, start telling these stories. But uh, that day, uh, I wasn't as lucky as Bo Smith, who's heard some incredible Kanika stories. But that day, he was mostly complaining about how many of his Sergeant Rock stories they stole for the TV series Combat. Really? And, uh, yeah, going on. Which I, you know, thinking back, it's like, it might have been the other way around in a few instances. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but you know, that was the story he was telling, you know, how yeah. Hollywood will screw you over, which is a good lesson for anybody. It is a good lesson. And what a, what a meeting of minds. Like, you, you, your career was just about to start in the next few years, and he was winding yeah. down. You know, yeah, and yeah. man, incredible, incredible. Now, Chuck, I want you to thank you firstly for your time. Um, now, sure. I, it feels like you you've got a lot of avenues where people can reach you. I know you've got a very thriving YouTube channel. Do you want to you know clue listeners in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's just Chuck Dixon. Just look for it on YouTube, and uh, every week I'm there with Ask Chuck Dixon. Uh, on Wednesdays and on Fridays, I have What You're Reading, where I just talk about you know comics and novels and books I've been. It's awesome, and it's it's starting to it's starting to build uh, momentum yeah. in, in recent months. That's good, and I and, yeah. and honestly, I I check in and and listen to them and and stuff, and it's always fun. Like the the questions people ask you and your stories and stuff, and you learn things that honestly you wouldn't know. You know, <laughs> it's cool. yeah. I probably am a little too candid, but ah, I think people love it, man. Like at the end of the day, oh, yeah. when it's all said and done, we're you know we're dealing with imaginary characters. And it's stories, it's your career. I think it's fascinating. I don't know how people get so bent out of shape about some of this stuff, really. It's just hard to fathom. You can't, you can't take it that seriously. No, but, you know, and, but maybe sometimes, uh, Marvel, take it a little more seriously. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, always take your work seriously. So. <laughs> yeah. Try a little harder. And yeah. I think we've come to the conclusion $7 US, the price is too high for what you're putting out. That's Marvel. insane. It's insane. And um, well, look, um, thank you so much for your time, Chuck. It's always a pleasure. Um, we'll definitely want to have you back on when you have more of this stuff pumping out. But check out Chuck's new Conan book that's out today. We've synchronized all this um, just so Chuck can have a hit book. But uh, get you on top of the charts, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you.
<laughs> All right, thank you and good night. Thank you.